A stranger in a strange land, a scientist pushing the limits of animal genetics, an island with inhabitants that aren't quite human. All this can only mean one thing, we're comparing the island of Dr. Moreau on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake. This is the series where we compare movies and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's episode is The Island of Dr. Moreau. Getting right into it. The Island of Dr. Moreau, made in 1977, starring Burt Lancaster, Michael York, Nigel Davenport, Barbara Carrera, Richard Basehart, and Nick Kravitz. Directed by Don Taylor. Screenplay by Al Ramis and John Herman Shainer. Music by Lawrence Rothman. The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1996. Starring Marlon Rando, Val Kilmer, David Thewlis, Fruza Balk, Ron Perlman, Dan Rigney, Tamura Morrison, Django Fett, <laughs> and Mark Dacascos. You know, good old Iron Chef himself. Or is, it, is that Iron Chef? Is that the show he's on? Yeah, the original show. I don't know. Uh, he he's from Double Dragon. I know okay. he's in Double Dragon. Mark Dacascos, directed by John Frankenheimer, kinda. <laughs> also kind of directed by Richard Stanley, who did the screenplay along with Ron Hutchinson and music by Gary Chang. Both films are based on the H.G. Wells novels of the same name. We should also mention that. While these are the only films called The Island of Dr. Moreau, there have been other films adapted to the novel, so I'm just going to run through them really quick. We have L'Isle de Pouvant, which is The Island of Terror, a French film that came out in 1913. It's actually a silent film. Then we have Die Insel der Wirschenholen. I don't think I said that right at all. It's a German silent adaptation. We have The Island of Lost Souls. That is the actual first American adaptation of Island of Dr. Moreau, and that came out in 1932. And then we have Terror is a Man, which is actually a Filipino film, which okay. I was surprised to find out right. as a uh, half Filipino myself. That came out in 1959. And then we have The Twilight People, which is a Filipino-American horror <laughs> film, which came out in 1972. So I got to find out what my peoples yeah. find so fascinating about this film. <laughs> Anyways, those are all the films that uh, came before the 1977 version. So Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? Funny enough, my first experience with these films is this episode. Uh, um, <laughs> okay. I'm sure I've seen all kinds of pop culture references like Brando in the uh, the Pope type chair. I think I've seen that <laughs> yeah. reference before. But uh, yeah, this is my first time actually sitting down and watching the 77 and the uh, 96 film. Nice. I had also never seen the 1977 film. Yeah. The first time was for this podcast. I didn't know who was in it or that it was even only the, that it was the second adaptation or American adaptation of the book. I had seen the 96 film. Okay. In theaters. Wow. 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 So I was 12, 11 maybe when that came out. What was that about? Why did I see that? Well, if you'll remember, in 1995, the year before, mm -hmm. Val Kilmer was in a little film called 
Batman forever. Right, so I was a huge Batman guy. I don't want to follow my Batman to their movies, Reggie. So the, I followed him. The infamous nipple Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not as infamous as the later Batman, <laughs> yeah. you know, but he still had nipples on there. So <laughs> all, all out. Fair enough. But yeah, so I'm a huge Val Kilmer fan because of Batman Forever. So let me go see this film. And let's hope I get Batman 2 is pretty much what I was hoping for. And uh, oh boy. Oh boy. I was not ready for this film. I also have a strange fascination with uh, Val Kilmer, whether it's like the Doc Holliday portrayal, the Batman yeah. stuff. Um, he's good in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I'm not... I'm surprised I haven't seen this because of my Val Kilmer obsession. Oh no, I'm just a, I'm a huge Val Kilmer fan in general. Like obviously Doc Holliday, everybody that's everybody's go to. Sure. Um, but like I like even his earlier stuff. Like his first feature film, um, mm -hmm. Top Secret. Top Secret. An amazing comedy. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a spoof film, but it's so good. And then like another '80s classic that I love, Real Geniuses. Like I I grew up on that. I that's was good, raised good on shit. Real Genius. Real I love that movie. Thunderheart, so all kinds of. Kilmer shit. So I'm a huge, I'm still like a huge Bell Kilmer mm -hmm. fan in general. And he's been playing like Mark Twain lately. Well, he, yeah, he had a Mark Twain play that yeah. he was going to make into a film and then he had uh, the throat cancer mm -hmm. and that, the kibosh on pretty much everything. So I'm saying all this because the reason we picked, or the reason I picked this episode is because I watched that Val Kilmer documentary yeah. on Amazon Prime. If you're a Val Kilmer fan, I definitely recommend nice. checking that out. Um, and this film was featured in that documentary prominently, so this is why I was like, we gotta do yeah, this one next. That's awesome. Alright, so these are quite different films. Um, unfortunately, again, the protagonist, they just keep changing the name. It's different in the book from both films, too, so <laughs> that's great. And it, the endings are quite different, so this is a very brief synopsis. So here we go. What are these films about? Well, our protagonist is stranded on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. Just when it seems all hope is lost, he's found by a man called Montgomery and brought back to good health. The protagonist will take shelter on a remote island, occupied by one Dr. Moreau. On the, also on this island is his daughter, who the protagonist develops feelings for. The protagonist realizes things aren't quite as they seem. The island is inhabited by strange creatures that appear half-man, half-animal, or Human animals. That was from Wikipedia. So I didn't write that. So if you don't like that, sorry. Yeah, I'm going to say it. human animals a lot. <laughs> Dr. Moreau explains he's been altering animal DNA to make them more human. The human animals struggle with their new identity and constantly try to obey the laws Moreau has taught them. The protagonist is not cool with any of this and wants off the island. Things start to ramp up as the human animals begin to re rebel against their creator. Both movies take quite different turns here, but ultimately Montgomery and Moreau are killed, and the protagonist sails off the island after much of it has burned down to the ground. Yeah. The end. Don't worry, we will certainly get into those endings, but that's just a brief, you know, synopsis. It's pretty much a guy who's been experimenting on animals, yep. making them more human, and another guy's like, wow, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. The end. Yeah. Come over, fresh set of eyes and say, this is not... This isn't good. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what's going on here, but nothing good. Mm -hmm. All right, so there are a lot of differences, a lot of things to compare with these two films. And I think we should start just by going over the characters. We'll start with our main character, the protagonist, whose eyes we view each film through. Like I said, different name for each movie, even in the book. I'll just say, in the book, his name was Edward Pendrick. But in our films, in the original, it was Michael York as Andrew Broderick. Well, those creatures, what are they? Well, how many were there? Well, two, three, maybe four, I don't know. And David Thewlis 
as Edward Douglas. Our doctors, scientists, who might understand what Moreau was trying to do. A UN agent who gets left to die in the middle of the ocean and comes to the island. So sure. Even their jobs are different because Michael York was like an engineer on a boat. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Edward Douglas was on like a plane that had crashed or something, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah these small differences okay. that are completely unnecessary, but sure. Yeah. All right, so where do you want to start with these characters? It's like, it's talking about the character, but tonally, um, we get quite a different sort of intro. Like, at the end of the day, it's two guys that are on, like, a, a boat, like, almost like a life raft. Life raft, yeah. Stranded at sea. Um, <clears throat> there are other people in the boat. Like, in... The first movie, like, they're just, like you said, they're stranded from uh, the ship. And guys are just kind of like, one guy dies, another guy just succumbs on the island. But, like, it's a pretty kind of, like, chill intro in the sense of, like, you don't really know what's happening at that moment. And you're just kind of being introduced to this scenario. Immediately in this remake, <laughs> it, it, like, the remake tries to hit so many, like, I think themes and tones that, like, you got like this crazy ass like knife fight <laughs> on the life raft. Our main character, like Edward Douglas, played by David Thewlis, isn't really involved in that fight. He's just kind of like out of it. But like, he was. I think he was maybe thrown around a little maybe, bit, maybe here and there, right? But like, just completely different, right? Like we immediately <laughs> kind of jump into action in his remake. And uh, for me, like watching the two films, I'll say this: that like Michael York, for a significant amount of the movie gets to kind of be, like, slightly ignorant of what's happening on the island. Even, like, as things are happening, he's kind of like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, David Thewlis, like, immediately has to, like, contend with his uh, his situation, whether it's a violent <laughs> fight on the, on the ship or even when, like, uh, Montgomery picks him up. There's, like, a, there's scenes that happen before they're on the island, so I feel like there's, like, just more, this more fleshed out, kind of stuff happening mm -hmm. before we actually get to the island. I think that that's pretty consistent with the remake. It's trying to like, the movie's trying to fill in some of the gaps that were kind of there in the original. I think it was trying to like, we were discovering things slowly with um, Michael York's character. Right. I don't know if that... No, that, no, that makes a lot of sense because like, we kind of progress with Michael York's character yeah. in that way, the way you're talking about it. Like, he's not immediately thrown into danger. Like, yeah. you know, it is a dangerous situation being stranded and sure. not having water, of course, but, you know, there's violence. There's not that threat of violence, at mm -hmm. least not yet. But, like, immediately, David Thewlis is like, well, these two guys, you know, not only were they, like, with a knife, but, like, shark is yeah. also what ultimately decides, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. you both lost, yeah. so fuck off. So, yeah, he's immediately just in, like, this violent situation, just, like, unhinged like can't really relax or just like kind of like ease in yeah. to the yeah. island as opposed to like michael york who's like you know he gets to the island he sees something but he passes out and then you know montgomery does rescue him and it's kind of like this slow introduction it's like hey wake up let right. me show you around relax a little bit you like that girl yeah yeah she's his don't worry yeah and uh as opposed to like dave thulis you know he's you, like you said he's in this violent situation and then He's, I guess it's a little bit of a calm introduction. He's a little bit with Val Kilmer on sure. the boat. Um, he doesn't find the island himself. He's taken there. So it's a slight difference between mm -hmm. those two characters. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's shown around a little bit. But, like, pretty much when 
Velcom release, he like locks him in the room. So it's like there's conflict right there. Right. Like, now you're locked. Now I'm a prisoner here. Right. So he has to break out. He's not like just on this island, which could be normal. It's like now I'm locked in. So now I know something's up, and this is really weird. Yeah, like um, it's not quite like an uncanny valley, but like in the original film, there's there's this gray area of like what are what's anyone's motivation? Like you're not really sure what Montgomery's motivation is at first. You're not really sure what Dr. Moreau's motivation is at that point. You're just kind of with Michael York, who's like, hey, that seems a little strange. <laughs> like um, when the, the other stranded gentleman gets kind of like taken into the woods, you don't really see what got him mm, at first. Right. So like there's, hey, look, maybe it's just like a jungle creature. Maybe yeah. could, could be like a panther or something, you know. Whatever. It's it's up in the air at that point, and uh, I would say throughout like the first at least half hour of the film, you're just kind of going through the paces like, all mm -hmm. right, that's a little strange, that's a little strange, before you find out how strange it is. Um, the remake, <laughs> David Thule, like you mentioned, because he's basically captured, um, he knows he's a prisoner, as opposed to Michael York, who's like, plausibly, maybe he's not a prisoner, even though he kind of is too, right? Um, uh, that tension completely like locks us in his audience as to something's up like right. immediately like there's no <laughs> we're not going to ramp into this action we're like we're here like mm -hmm. your your room has bars on the door <laughs> and uh david thulis you know rightfully so has to like kind of like fight back uh in his own way against his captors which i think is a, a major character change almost out the gate yeah so yeah because he's like like pretty much fighting like, for a moment. <laughs> so David Thewlis is in like agony for a lot of the movie. Yeah, but, but like you know, Michael York is also in agony throughout the film. I would say his major character trait to me is just that like, oh. What is it like he just everything he interacts with he just has this like this almost like uh guttural animalistic like moan he's like oh <laughs> just from scene to scene and um you know you have that with like david thulis to an extent but like there's more dialogue <laughs> there's more there's more like actual like words that are, are given between characters uh like i mentioned because they try to flesh out that motivation we do get to see him play off of Montgomery more. We do get to see David mm -hmm. Dulles play off of Doc Monroe a little bit more. Whereas, like, Michael York, because, again, he almost embodies how we are as an audience, like, not knowing what's going on. He's just, like, kind of observing things without really necessarily having a lot of verbal interactions with people early on. But that it picks up throughout the film. I would say that, like, there are character traits that come into play plot wise like some of the things that happen mm -hmm. to these individual characters because they have two very different right experiences on the island mm -hmm. so I i'll say i guess just to kind of lead off because you're right you do have to talk about everything else mm -hmm. that's happening um michael york is and we've done this before with like some of the older films more of this like blank canvas like he does have his own sort of backstory and emotions but it's kind of irrelevant versus like david thulis who um because he is a prisoner, has to play off of people and has to like try to almost like assert his humanity early on. Uh, you get this very 
different portrayal early on, but as things progress, I think uh, I think these two actors get to kind of even out a little bit more. But uh, early on, David Thewlis, we we get a lot out of him that we don't quite get from Michael York early on. He feels like more of an observer. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's go on because there's so many characters <laughs> in these movies. Let's go on to the um, the titular character, Doctor Moreau. We have very different portrayals here. <laughs> we have Burt Lancaster in the original. One is to study nature, one must become as remorseless as nature. You should know that. And Marlon Brando. The Marlon Brando in the remake. Calm yourself, Mr. Douglas. Don't add more pain to that already diminished life. Marlon Brando. Okay. Um, like I said, just incredibly different portrayals. Yeah. Um, Burt Lancaster, when you first meet him, um, just a lot more, you know, kind of like a regular dude. Just a guy. Just a, <laughs> just dude. a guy. He's very amicable. He's mm -hmm. very hospitable to his New Island guest. You know, he's very approachable. Sure. He's like, you know, he's like, this is my island. I'll show you around a little bit. I'll tell you things. You know, just got to be careful. Um, yeah, I'm a scientist mm -hmm. and uh, you're a curious mind and I like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, he doesn't come across as evil or no. really like a villain at all. Yeah. Early on in the film, he's just, uh, like you say, he's so amicable that even as, like, villainous things kind of start happening, he's like, oh, that? That's a bear. It's like, that's a bear, dude. But, like, like um, he, again, like, there isn't this overt, clear prisoner's kind of dilemma, right? Like, right. Uh, he's just kind of showing around. He's like, yeah, this is my island. Like, don't go over here. But, like like you said, more for your safety than, uh, than I have a nefarious plot. Um, um for much of the film, Burt Lancaster gets to occupy the space of, I mean, maybe he's a little outside the box, but you know, he's still a respectable kind of scientist until he's not, you know, right. in the film. So, like, he gets a lot more benefit of doubt and, mm. and leeway right. because he's just like, hey, man, like, a science guy, you know, like, he's a credible figure in the film, and that allows us to kind of start seeing some things without immediately being like, goo. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it takes a little bit of time for that to happen. Yeah, he's very unassuming. You know, he dresses in almost like this all in white, like Mark Twain. Mm -hmm. He got this mm -hmm. like Jurassic Park hat on yeah. the whole time. And yeah, like I said, he's not, there's no malice in what he does. It doesn't seem like he has like an agenda that's gonna affect our protagonist yeah. in a negative way. Uh, until he eventually does. Right, right. So there is a turn for that character, but our first introduction to him, you, you just think, okay, so this is his island, and he, you know, he's very um, transparent mm -hmm. to our protagonist. He's yeah. not really holding anything back that he asks. You know, he's holding certain things back sure. at this point, <laughs> but, you know, he'll, he'll still just be, you know, straight up, straightforward with uh, the protagonist, which is very different <laughs> from yeah. Marlon Brando's, who doesn't even talk to Douglas when he first arrives. He doesn't right. see him until well after he's broke, right. tried to break out. Right. You, you know, what's interesting from what I understand is that Lancaster, his, at least his appearance is a lot kind of like how Moreau's described in the book. Okay. Um, which kind of makes sense, right? Like, yeah. I think, I think it allows that sort of horror element to creep in. Right. You know? It's very gray with that character. It's like, is he good? Is he bad? You know, it's his island. Is it a good yeah. island? Is it a yeah. bad island? Who yeah. knows? But, but you're right. Like, by the time Douglas interacts with uh, Marlon Brando in, yeah. in the film, he's already had to try to escape several yeah. times. <laughs> yep. You know? Um, 
Boy, so Brando. Brando, that introduction. <laughs> I know I said uh, Lancaster was dressed in white, but uh, <laughs> Brando takes that way to the next yeah. level. Like he's dressed in like all like a white poncho or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And then his face is painted white because white, he's got like white bandages over. He it. says it's to protect against the sun or yeah. something. But I, I'm not buying it for a second. He, uh, <laughs> he's just like this pale white figure yeah godlike figure it's it's a it's a huge difference between the way these characters portrayal this like you have this eager scientist who's put, wanting to push the limits of what genetics can do and then you right. have this other guy who pretty much looks like a cult leader mm -hmm. or, a, or a god yeah because like even when he has like his like electronics that he uses to control human animals and stuff like that it is almost like a religious pendant, the way he wears it, you mm -hmm. know? Um, he comes in, apparently this was Brandon's idea, he wanted to kind of look like the Pope, and that was sort of the idea of him coming <laughs> in that whole get-up. Like, yeah, I mean, you watch two guys knife fight, and then uh, shark eat them. <laughs> you, uh, you're hanging out with this Montgomery guy who's like, warns you not to stay on the ship because the captain of the ship might, uh, you know. Have his way with him. Right. Um, He's like, oh yeah, here are your quarters, and you immediately find out your quarters are a prison cell. Um, you're seeing all kinds of weird stuff, which we'll get into. And then, <laughs> and then when you finally do meet Doctor Moreau, he, like you say, he's he's just clad in this white getup, uh, being escorted by the human animals yeah. that he's created, like a god type character, totally like an ancient Egyptian deity. Yeah, so like. Like you mentioned, like eager scientists, um, maybe a little too eager, right? right? Versus a man who is clearly unhinged, mm -hmm. uh, who reveres himself as, like you said, a godlike figure, who has created this crazy scenario where, like, uh, man and beasts in many ways, like, bow down to him. And he's just on such a high pedestal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, like, just unrecognizable as a normal human being. Like, this guy is out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very similar to his character in Apocalypse Now. It is. The Kurtz character. You know, just this whole tribe, people worshipping him. And then in this jungle-like setting, it's it's almost it's, like the exact same thing yeah. from Apocalypse Face Now. Face paint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, it's just such a... Like jarring, like striking image. Yeah. Um, and like, like you said, like Moreau, Burt Lancaster throughout the film, kind of you know he has like that kind of like old school British, like you said, almost safari imperialist type outfit throughout the film. Brando is serving you looks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every costume's crazy in the last. And you know it's it's nuts as shit, but it is so memorable. It really I is. Can't, I can't forget that it's 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 it was a decision, and you know what? Because it, it, it kind of works. It's weird. It's so bizarre, but it's like yeah, that kind of works. It makes sense, yeah. and I'm it, I'm remembering it. It's it's just so outlandish and over the top. And like, yeah, if you're gonna make a series of laws to try to like control these like disfigured beast men that you've created, mm -hmm. like. Yeah, of course his, his thought is like, I'm the Pope or whatever, right. you know? Um, and for him to kind of, you know, be doing all this horrific stuff and then kind of shivers, like, ooh, you're killing things, you know? Like, 
but meanwhile, he's in like a sarong playing the piano with mm-hmm. a little dude dressed yeah. like him. Like the original mini me. <laughs> it, it it was so bizarre. Yeah. And like, it's weird to say this, but like, because of the outfits I saw before, when he had a bucket on his head and they just poured like water into it, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. sense. I was like, yeah. All right. Because right, when, when you go crazy, slightly crazy seems normal. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I think Yes, my, my, my caloric um, inverter is empty. Would you fill it, please? Yes, that's much better. You know, we'll talk about kind of some of the production of the film itself, but like, right. when you're so over the top, like, I'm just, I just kind of went with it. I was like, yeah, that's what Dr. Moreau does. You know, like I said, I had seen the remake before I saw the original. It was just, the Lancaster is just so earnest compared <laughs> to what I got with Brando. So it's just like, this is a weird portrayal. Like, yeah. I thought the, right. the, you know, the held back, the not over the top version was weird. Like, I'm, I'm expecting this guy right. to, to act like a god, but... You know, it's just that Brando performance is weird as fuck, but man, I liked it. <laughs> it worked. No, I, I agree. Because, like, um, there were times in the first film where, uh, you know, because of some ambiguity, I was like, you're not really you're not giving me much to work with. Right. Yet. You know, it ramps up for sure. But, like, uh, Lancaster is so kind of chill. I'm like, yeah, right, this is a chill situation. Brando, I'm just like, what the Oh, right, like, it's like you, you can't look away. Every time he's yeah. on screen, you're just like, "What the fuck is happening? What am I looking at? This is this is such a weird decision." But man, it, it works because yeah. I could not look away. Yeah. I wasn't bored when he was no, on screen. No, there for was, sure. There's it's impossible. <laughs> Maybe some people I don't know. If you lived a crazy life, like it was impossible to not be compelled by whatever it was Brando was doing, and like it doesn't have to quite make sense if it's. Like, I, yeah. wanted, I wanted to know what was going right. on. Yeah. And there was a man named George Gershwin who played this. It just, it, it draws you in. And, you know, like you brought up production issues. There was a lot mm-hmm. of problems on the set of that yeah. remake. Uh, Brando, he didn't, he, he's not a team player <laughs> at this point in his career. A lot of problems. Um, there was a lot of rewrites in the script too. We yeah. had mentioned that the directors had changed hands. Um, the script kept getting rewrites, so he just didn't even want to learn his script. He was doing his lines with an earpiece yes. in his ear, and then there were even points where his radio was getting like police <laughs> r- yeah. radios, and he was he was reciting that yeah. as his lines. And then it's just like you're not even he what just, you're way off course. He phoned it in, man. He phoned it in, but it's still like. One of the more compelling characters of both films. It's, I can't forget that, like that pasty white makeup uh, with that full. He's a huge. He's a huge man. Yeah, he's a big guy. So and just being like treated like a god. That's a that's a compelling character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna name something Islander, Doctor Moreau, to have your Doctor Moreau be so striking, you right? Know, it's like, <laughs> all right, yeah, I get it. I get it. That. Law has been broken. Weird as hell. Um, I'm sure infuriated almost everybody he worked with. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? For me, actually, kind of one of the, the finer points of the film. Brando's uh, eccentricities. Like it was, it's insane. I, I, I loved it. <laughs> I, I also just like the character portrayal in general too, just because like, okay, I get like a scientist like pushing genetics as far as they can go with animals, but like if you are pretty much creating like humanoid things yeah. out of th- 
things that are supposed to be animals, like you might consider yourself a god. And yeah. Like maybe I should be treated that yeah. way as well. So th that portrayal like makes so much sense to me as opposed to just I'm just an earnest scientist yeah. just tr just trying to figure out what I can do to push oh, humanity to totally the next level. level. I've been keeping it together. Meanwhile, I'm like making like. Yeah, humanoid beast. I'm making like, the craziest shit here. So, like, let's get crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. let's get nuts. <laughs> let's get nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and then it allows you to deliver lines like, uh, "Right, I've seen the devil in, in the microscope." It's like, whoa, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Like, he doesn't have a lot of lines, but like I said, every time he's talking, you're, yeah. you're listening. Yeah. Even if he's just playing some Chopin duet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minute, you're like, "What's gonna happen next, man?" It's and he's great. he's genuinely, and he shouldn't be, but he's genuinely terrifying. There's like yeah. moments where like he's in there with like almost like these superhuman things, you know, like for lack of a better word. And he's the scary one in the scene. Like, <laughs> like what's this guy gonna do? Um, I don't know. It, they go for some really high thematic points that um, I think often oftentimes uh, don't quite work, mm -hmm. but. Uh, you know, when he's selling it, it's almost believable. It's yeah. like almost believable, man. He's he's definitely like I, I'm gonna say it now. I think he's my favorite part of that remake. And oh, easily when he dies, the movie definitely suffers. Yeah, because yeah. we lose that that just, just that insanity. Yeah, like um, I do sort of wish that he was around longer in the yes. film because uh, you're right. Once he's out of the picture, there's no one with the same gravity. Right. Of, and I mean, what do you expect? It's Marlon Brando, right? Like, uh, uh, famous, infamous, um, had a very um, wild, strange life. Um, mm -hmm. But like, was that, like, he was the actor's actor um, for a while, man. Like, he's just had so many iconic roles. And this is one of them, man. Like, this guy can go from Vito Corleone, like you said, uh, uh, was it Kurtz? Uh, Kurtz yeah. yeah, and then Doctor Moreau. No one can say that uh, his character work isn't compelling. Man. Yeah, like it's, it's so it, strange. It's <laughs> it's a very compelling character, but um, like I said, unfortunately, he dies a little bit early in Pretty the early. film. Yeah, and he never is able to take that villainous turn that you're waiting for. Right, you're right. really waiting. You're like this guy is definitely just gonna right. go off the hinges at one point and. I just feel like there was they built up so much potential with this character, and it never took the turn like in the original film, mm -hmm. where he just decided to like let me let me do this to to Braddock. I'll, he kills Montgomery. Like he never has that moment. Yeah. He never does anything really violent. No, no. In he, the remake, as like as opposed to the original, it's like this misguided scientist who's kind of like drawn out of polite society because of what he's chosen. To, uh, his ethics are certainly. Bad. Like he's he's not an ethical actor, but because of his like apprehension to certain types of violence, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're right. Like he doesn't quite occupy villain. He's more mm -hmm. of like a crazy genius. He's a mad scientist. Yeah, you know, um, the yeah, Doctor Moreau in the original he does have that villain turn, like you mentioned with Montgomery, like you mentioned what he does to Braddock and stuff like that. Um, I feel like. The Montgomery in this remake operates in the villain space. Yeah, instead. and it, and it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So maybe we should get into Montgomery. Yeah, I think point. so. All right. Well, that movie had a lot of production issues. So did we. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, all of a sudden we're on Zoom. Okay, uh, that's because 
while um, after recording, I was transferring some of the files and I was, you know, making room on my memory card and I deleted just one, but for some reason deleted several. So here we are in our production hell. Yeah. So, um, yep, yep. Uh, creative differences. I uh, moved to a different <laughs> location. <laughs> I refused to come out of my house until Reggie came out of his. That's why we're on I, I refuse to leave my house until you leave your house. So, um, um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so, <laughs> it's a cursed movie. You might as well have a cursed, uh, cursed episode. Yeah, well said. All right, so in our discussion, we just talked about Dr. Moreau. So we're going to continue on to the another character who's pretty important, and that is sort of his right-hand man. That's Montgomery, portrayed by Nigel Davenport in the original. Don't worry, Braddock. You'll get over it just like I did. Tend to the horses, Mr. Montgomery. And Val Kilmer in the remake. Christ, he pulled it out. What? His implant, he pulled out his implant. They all have implants. It's how we shock them into submission. He's a former, uh, a former neurosurgeon who is a vet and enforcer on Dr. Moreau's island. All right. Um, I think we should start with the original because he's a little simpler yeah. to define. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that jumped out to me with uh, Montgomery in the first film as played by Nigel Davenport is that he, his motivation is kind of unclear, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. it's very ambiguous early on, whether he's like a good guy, a bad guy. Um, we know he likes to drink. That's about oh, yeah. <laughs> all we know. But, um, you know, he holds a similar spot where he's kind of explaining to our sort of protagonist, uh, a few of the ways things work on the island, but um, he, he's much more of a blank slate in the original film as opposed to what we get in the remake. Yeah, that, he's definitely a blank slate because every time he's asked a question by our protagonist, he just keeps saying, I'm, don't ask me, man. <laughs> you ask Moreau. You want to know anything? Ask him. You want a drink? You come see me. So that's why that's all we know about him is his tenacity for drinking. But yeah, I like that kind of portrayal because you really do think like, oh, he's kind of a bad guy, kind of in the same vein as Moreau. But then we do learn near his mm. <laughs> near his end that he actually does have like a code or a line that doesn't that shouldn't be crossed. And uh, while he stands up for it, he uh, he gets shot in the fucking back. So that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, that does suck. You know, without going deep into the ending, yeah, Montgomery uh, because we realized at that point in the film when he, he dies that he ultimately does have that line it draws lines for all the other characters right mm -hmm. like um uh dr moreau in that instant is now clearly squarely our villain mm -hmm. uh montgomery ends up being sort of like a heroic figure and our protagonist once montgomery is no longer there to kind of guide and protect him uh the protagonist is all on his own with this mm -hmm. island with this mad scientists on it so uh it's very consequential when Montgomery gets uh, taken out in, uh, yeah. <laughs> in the, with the lab gun. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Why yeah, you the lab gun. Genetic experiments. You need right a lab next to gun. the beakers. Yeah. Uh, no, his death is uh, is very important in that original film. It's the catalyst that also sets the humanimals to kind of rebel and forget the laws anymore. Because the one law that they're like really fixed on is like man does not kill. And then all of a sudden, now oh, here's Montgomery, he's dead because Moreau killed him. Well, you broke the law, so why can't we break laws? Fuck this shit. Full-out rebellion. Yeah. So Montgomery's death is very important in that original film. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, in a film that, um, one of the things that we kind of described as we talked about the film, it's a very kind of straightforward plot that originally, right? Like, um, uh, man's on a boat, lost, uh, lands on this island, doesn't know what's going on. Montgomery's guiding him. There's a doctor. Is he good or bad guy? Like, once you remove that Montgomery character, like, everything ramps up. Like, it now is uh, in that, like, kind of horror, almost action vein once that happens. Before then, you're just kind of like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, big, big, big character um, who weirdly, you know, he's not in, like, a ton of scenes, but the no. scenes that he's in are important. Yeah, he's a very small role compared to the other characters, especially Maroon, the protagonist, Michael York's character. So um, yeah. for his character to kind of have that impact is pretty fucking important. Because <laughs> like you said, draws the lines and kind of drives the story forward, his death and everything. So um, yeah, solid character, likes to drink. You know, he's, he's an all right guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're okay by me, Nigel, to have him for uh, we we've spoken quite a bit about our Val Kilmer fandom. Uh, <laughs> this is the reason we're doing this episode, Reggie, because I watched that Val Kilmer documentary. So I was like, oh, we got to do this. <laughs> yeah, whether it's like Tombstone, um, freaking Batman, like there's a lot of great Val Kilmer out there. Real genius. Hey, this oh, ain't it. <laughs> oh yeah, real genius. Nice. <laughs> Th- this um this is odd. <laughs> I, I guess I'll start with this, that um, very early on in the film, he's uh, he's somewhat of a dark character. Like, it kind of starts similar to Montgomery in the first film. When they saved David Thewlis from uh, his little, like, shipwreck, um, Val Kilmer, you know, you see him kind of in action. He's doing, like, some veterinarian, like, medical work. But, like, at first, you could plausibly think, hey, maybe this guy is going to be a helpful character. Um, but... You know, he implies that the captain's going to have his way with uh, Thulis as they get off the boat. He immediately locks our protagonist, David Thulis, into uh, prison. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, within the first, you know, 10 me- minutes of meeting his character, he's, uh, he's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and don't forget he killed that little bunny. A cute little bunny right in front of him, too. Yeah. yeah, the problem with Val Kilmer's character, well, there's a few problems. One of the main <laughs> problems, I'll say, with his character is, uh, what's it, what is his motivation? You can't figure out what kind of character he is because you don't know exactly what drives him. You know, um, early on, you learn that he's like kind of this scientist, just like Moreau, and he's sort of pushing back against Moreau and his, his rules and everything, right? Um, we see that in the dinner scene when there's a rabbit all of a sudden. He's the one that, like, he killed the rabbit and he told the guy to cook the rabbit. But, you know, they're all vegetarians and vegans on there. And, uh, you know, there's this kind of great setup with his character because you think, okay, it's kind of like, uh, for lack of a better comparison, like Dr. Wily and Dr. Light and Mega Man, right? They both want to make these robots, but one has ah, nice. good and one <laughs> makes it for evil. So you're thinking maybe, oh, they're two scientists and they both have different views and that's going to come to a head at some point. But it never really does. And so it's just confusing as to like, why is he uh, kind of undermining Dr. Moreau at every chance he has? I don't It's not quite explained enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree, which uh, like you brought up the, the rabbit scene, right? Like uh, Laval Kilmer is petting the rabbit, like, and then he just breaks its neck because they never really follow up on that, right? There's no, it's, it's confusing, right? Right. Like, I could see... 
like the way they're playing these two characters, uh, you know, Dr. Moreau, Montgomery, like Moreau in this film is sort of in many ways a pacifist, right? Besides mm-hmm. like zapping people. And Montgomery, who, you know, in our previous film is a hero, here he is skirting that edge, right? When he breaks a rabbit's neck, like like you said, there's this duality between the two and like there was space to play with um the mad genius doctor who like ultimately thinks he's doing the right thing versus a guy who's like mad in his own way but like wants to do darker stuff right like mm-hmm. if yeah. they would have played that out that would have been interesting but they just they just lays there <laughs> yeah i mean we talked about production issues i think that a big problem was that val kilmer and mom brando just did not get along at all so the scenes that they're in together are awkward and they're not really talking to each other almost it's like they're kind of just talking to whatever's around and they're just kind of sort of responding it's their interactions are very strange mr montgomery considers this a kind of source of amusement i suppose no one saw me kill it nothing so we'll simply have to increase the dosage that's probably due to the, the two actors just not getting along and it's you know it's ultimately disappointing i mean there's one scene in the movie where uh as zello kills you know a human animal and he's like well where'd you where'd you get the gun he's like i got it from him and then they just kind of look at val kilmer's montgomery and kind of looks away and it's like well that was that where did you get this gun there's not going to be any yeah. uh it's not going to be consequences to that action it's like what's happening here all right let's 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 dig into this there's something happening here but we just completely ignore it yeah it's like he's kind of sulking like in in real life and in the movie right like uh in, in, at this point like val kilmer uh has found out uh during production that his wife is divorcing him yeah. he found out from late night television basically like she went to get an interview uh joanne wally and was like um i'm out and he tried to get out of the film and instead of you know leaving the film because he couldn't because of the contract he just stays and he gives this strange strange performance um yeah. like, like you said when when he has a gun he's like he did it he's just like eh. yeah <laughs> it's like that's, that's it yeah, <laughs> that's the whole buddy. scene it's like what <laughs> yeah, Val was uh, apparently like a nightmare on production. John Frankenheimer, the director, took over. Like, did not get along with him at all. Like, famous last line is "Get that asshole off my set." When he was done, it's like I'm never working yeah. Val Kilmer again. So yeah, and you, it, you can tell that Val Kilmer just didn't give a yeah. fuck, <laughs> especially yeah. after Moreau dies, because we're introduced to one version Ooh. of Montgomery, and he takes a quite a turn after Moreau's death. Give the Castillo pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet. And then... Yeah, there's implication throughout uh, the film. The last time we were recording this, uh, I came up with the term uh, orgiastic or orgiastic. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which uh, you rightfully said is not a word. <laughs> um, but, like, Val Kilmer is slipping, like, the female human animals, like, basically, like, drugs in, uh, like, like, 
things like ecstasy, like methadone type stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, with their non-regression meds, and he's like, I don't know, like, you mentioned he, like, feeds them with his, uh, like, basically he's kissing the humanity. It's really strange, right? Like, there's this weird sex vibe in the background. <laughs> That's not even all of it, right? Like, after that, um, he, he starts taking on this insane Marlon Brando impression. I give all my gifts to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have my hand, I'm nothing. It's odd. It, like, it it's is, a complete it turn for this character. Yeah, for, like we said, like, is he going against what Moreau believes? But now he seems to be embracing what Moreau is all about, just going insane, reading gibberish from the Bible, and, and then he said unto him and unto his... <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's so fucking weird, and you know it's because you know the friction between him and Brando. So he's like doing a mock Brando performance, like trying to make fun of him essentially for because uh, I don't like you, so I'm just gonna pretend to be a different yeah. version of you. But but you know, uh, as the kids say, but congratulations, you played yourself, right? Because like <laughs> Brando is actually enjoyable in the film, and like. The only thing I kind of like about the Brando impression is because it reminds me that Brando was in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Val Kilmer's like phoning in. It's so ironic that his best scenes are pretending to be Marlon Brando and <laughs> Girls Before Swine. And like, yeah, yeah. But even that is such a weird, like, it comes out of nowhere. It leads nowhere. Like, um, mm-hmm. I almost could make the argument, right, that, like, all right, they, just like in the original film, they try to keep Moreau alive, although he's dead, right? Like, in the minds and hearts of uh, the human animals, so they still believe in the laws. Mm-hmm. So it's like, maybe Val Kilmer's supposed to be filling that space, but he's not. <laughs> so it's just, <laughs> no. it's just an he- odd weird yeah. turn. Yeah, he's only in a couple scenes after Moreau's death, just acting in that gibberish. And, like, his first scene is when David Thewlis is looking for the, the serum. And then he's, like, not even just acknowledging him. He just keeps on talking in this Bible babble gibberish stuff. And then it's yeah. like, okay. And then he's still ta- doing that talk when he goes to the, the orgiastic party, I guess you could say. Later, <laughs> where he's just throwing drugs everywhere. And he's still just talking this nonsense. So, again, it's like... Is it to maintain those laws? Well, we don't know because he's not really enforcing them. He's, he's just talking gibberish and it's yeah. not really understandable. Like this whole thing is like, we should just be humans and animals and drugs and fuck. It's like, are, if he said something like that, at least I'd understand it. But he's just like drugs and pearls before swine, drugs, pearls before swine. It's, just, it's yeah, so yeah. confusing. And then like I said, the other Montgomery has an unceremonious death. This one really does. Cause it's like, Fucking, what was the point? Why did we follow his journey <laughs> at all after Moreau's death if it just led to this random death? It was really bizarre, ultimately pointless, but but very memorable because it was so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really Val Kilmer's performance in, in a nutshell. It's uh, bizarre and, and at times memorable, right? Like... Uh, <laughs> You you know you mentioned the original Montgomery his death, like we mentioned, draws these these very clear lines. We now see where kind of the morality and the ethics fall in the film. Um, 
there's so much happening. And, um, you know, when we recorded previously, we kind of mentioned it. Um, he's not really that important to the plot mm-hmm. at this point, right? So that, that does allow for this unceremonious death. Uh, there's no shift that happens when a major character dies here. Like, it, <laughs> it, it actually helps unencumber the film. Like, it's like, <laughs> oh, we can now move on because we've removed, like, this heap of whatever Val Kilmer is because he's, he's just giving you nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole film. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, well, first, yeah, his death had absolutely no consequence, so it didn't really matter. And then the fact that Val Kilmer was phoning it in or whatever you call that uh, Brando performance, whatever, the director's like, all right, let's just fucking kill him, get him out of the way so we can actually do something with this plot because we're not getting anything from Val. So, yeah, uh, they definitely just killed him because he was, you know, just holding that plot, you know, holding it hostage and not letting it go forward anymore. Yeah. He really, he really was like, um, as we get into the ending, you know, we'll talk about some of the stuff, but like hyena swine, the character is more <laughs> important than Montgomery. It's kind of unforgivable, right? Like how, yeah. did, how did this happen? And the interesting thing is, um, Val Kilmer was originally before all this stuff happened, was basically going to be David Thewlis. Um, right. he was going to be the lead and because he wanted to do as little work as possible because he wanted off the production. He's now Montgomery. And like, if you look at like Michael York in the original film, like him and Val Kilmer have similar features. And it's mm-hmm. like, that would have been interesting uh, if he wanted to be in the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't know, like, because of this just strange turn of events with his wife and his fight with the studio, he becomes like a bit character when he's supposed to be hot billing it's so so bad (laughs) yeah like we said right hot off batman forever you know it was like a year later and it's like he did get top billing i think uh along with brando and uh ultimately pointless character memorable but uh ultimately pointless yeah i i just um it's a shame because i i thought the setup like we mentioned at the beginning yeah felt like it could have gone somewhere, right? Like he he's also a bad doctor, vet, whatever you want to say. Right. <laughs> it almost feels like a Seinfeld vet, like he's not a real doctor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um and and because that sort of character just leads to nothing. It's all it's all for naught, man. That setup is just completely lost and uh, um unfortunately, I mean there's no one to blame but Val Kilmer in this scenario. Yeah. He he did it to himself. <laughs> All right, so with that, let's go on to another character in both films. Slightly different portrayals here, but I guess ultimately serving the same purpose. That's sort of the daughter figure. I'll just call her that. And that's Barbara Carrera as Maria in the original film. Has she come for your work? No, just till the next ship arrives. And Feruza Balk as Isa, a cat-themed hybrid, Moreau's daughter, who looks more human than the other hybrids and becomes Douglas's love interest. I want to be like you. Will I never be like you? So should we start with the original? It's just always just easier. It, it's often easier, and um, this one should be really straightforward because Barbara Carrera is, throughout the film, almost me. 
<laughs> like she, she, <laughs> I think the one time I remember her talking was when he, uh, Michael York said, we should go back to England, right? Like, that's the only time I recall <laughs> Barbara Carrera saying any words in the film. She, she's just like serving like these kind of like looks. It's like, uh, are we doing this? Are we doing this? You know, they bang. <laughs> <laughs> they do bang. Which, A couple times. <laughs> which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> Unnecessary. But, yeah. yeah. I, she's a pretty face. She's, um, yeah. I guess, a distraction from Michael York. Um, when she does talk, which is very rare, um, she definitely has like this weird kind of almost kind of spacey way of talking. Like she's not yeah. quite like she's not very knowledgeable of like the world or anything. And um, you know, mm -hmm. something like is up with her, which is really ultimately weakens that twist ending, I guess, because you're like, well, there's clearly yeah. something wrong with this woman. She's not, she's not normal. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, she's there. They force this love story, and you know, Michael York's like, I gotta get off this island, but I could also bang. So that's that's good. <laughs> so yeah, um, priorities. <laughs> <laughs> she's there. She does help him escape at the end. She does release him from the cage, so she's important to the plot at that point. Mm -hmm. But you know, ultimately, just a pretty face who's supposed to give us a, this twist ending, I guess. Yeah, yeah. F filler kind of love interest. Um, you know, in the past we talked about this uh, uh, this twist ending, but like when she becomes cat-like, it's uh, you you could easily miss it if you really yeah. aren't paying attention. Yeah, um, I'm watching this thing. It's an SD on my HD TV, so it's very pixelated, <laughs> and yeah. like. It looks like, I'm like, her eyes and teeth look a little different, but could she just be crying and that's her eyeliner running? Like, I wasn't sure. I had yeah. to go to Wikipedia just to confirm that, yes, she, in fact, was reverting into, like, a cat. So, yeah, it is definitely a blink if you miss it because it would have been a lot stronger if we had seen Michael York's reaction to her. Like, oh, right. no, she's a cat. No. I did it oh. with an animal. I am an animal. You know, that over-the-top Michael York reaction. I that needed that. Manatee. <laughs> Michael York made it much so better. Good in it. His, uh, he was so dramatic in the film. Like, uh, uh, yeah, that would have been cool to see his rap. Oh, why? <laughs> like that. Um, I, I brought up, like, last time, like, um, there's a there's a Kanye West music video called Fade and it has a um, her name's like Tiana Taylor in it and like in the the music video at the end of it her and like her husband's in the music video too turn into like cat people and it's a really cool effect and it's like if you're gonna do it like you gotta go full Kanye you gotta like <laughs> really make someone a cat um, and here it's just like eyes were kind of yeah had the thing the teeth were a little bit longer but it was like bro you show me human animals the whole film right like full-on makeup and then you're just like man make the teeth <laughs> kind of pointy it's like really <laughs> yeah that would have been such a cool reveal and it's just not not there um but you know for for a character that doesn't do much uh barbara Kerr, she you know it's fine she does her job but like she's not they don't give her a lot to do. Let's put it that way. No. Yeah, and like you she, mentioned, look pretty. Yeah, and she falls in love with Michael York so easily. 
for like no reason other than they're both young and attractive. <laughs> so of course yeah. they're gonna bang. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you're on a uh, deserted island with just uh, man beasts, uh, maybe yeah, maybe Michael York's the move, man. <laughs> which I guess then takes us into the remake, which takes a uh, a bit of a different turn with uh, Faruza Balt's, uh Isa, 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 yeah. I was a little nervous at the beginning that they were going the same direction with the lack of uh, speaking because she's just kind of doing like this weird, like yeah, exotic, I guess, dance, orgiastic um, dance. Would you call orgy? Orgy tastic. Astic tastic. It doesn't matter. Just make it hot. But yeah, David Thewlis is just kind of like creeping on her. Yeah, he's like. Don't mind me. I was just admiring your body moving. It's like, Jesus, Steve. Let's, let's turn it down a little bit. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, um, hey, bro, chill, man. Someone get this guy like a bucket of ice, you know, like Brando. <laughs> um, but the one that goes around his waist, though. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we're rewriting the film again. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, Fruza Balk, at least she talks. <laughs> yes. Um, and she kind of has an arc. Kind of. She has a conflict. Right? She like, has uh, a conflict. <laughs> she does, because uh, because they introduce characters that we'll talk about, like these like other siblings. Like, in the original film, it's just... Uh, uh, Maria, uh, Barbara Kurt's character that like is kind of human-like. Isa Carrera, because we see the other siblings, I guess, or Moreau's children, um, they look like freaking, you know, <laughs> animals that happen yeah. to be kind of human. She's just kind of chilling, being like, I look normal. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that is her conflict, though, that like she doesn't quite fit into the human world and she doesn't quite fit into this like animal hybrid beast kind of world. Um, and it messes with her throughout the film, which, mm-hmm. you know, good. Like we mentioned in this movie, good setup and no payoff. <laughs> no, payoff. no, not at all. She does have a scene with Brando though, uh, which kind of, <laughs> kind of dives deeper into this conflict that she's having. She's like, you know, I want to be human. I'm going to be like you. You know, she wants to be human. She, she likes it. And then, you know, he's like, you want to yeah. look like me? You don't want to look like me? Let's put more, put more ice in my bucket. <laughs> look at how they massacred my boy. <laughs> <laughs> look at how they yeah. massacred my um, cat. My boy, my boy, my boy. <laughs> my boy cat thing. Yeah. What was he testing? Yeah, it's, that's actually like, in a movie with a lot of bad scenes, it's actually a decent scene. Like, yeah. where Brando's like, I know you want to, like, be like me, but, like, don't. Because <laughs> uh, you say that both ways, right? Like, yeah, I'm an old, like, less attractive man. But also, like, yeah, actually don't be like me. I'm, like, doing genetic experiments. And I'm, like, long ago lost my humanity. So um, I'm giving the, the movie more credit than it deserves with that interpretation. <laughs> but, um, you know, there is something that's to say about her tie into both worlds. And I think in a lot of ways, she embodies the best of like humans because of her innocence 
and the best of the human animals because of her innocence, her tie mm-hmm. to like the human world and like human ethics. Um, now, in the original film, like Barbara Carrera kind of continues this relationship with Michael York, like we mentioned her twist ending. Through the bulk, I mean, she gets an unceremonious demise. It's a shame, right? Like she she's kind of reverting back into a cat, which is mm-hmm. again kind of compelling for a second, right? right. Like she's fighting yeah. off. I'm like, wow, she's got like cool cat powers, and then yeah. immediately just gets taken out, and it and there's the end of that storyline. <laughs> yeah, it really is unceremonious because, like, you know, after Moreau dies, she's telling David Thewlis, like, I'm starting to revert. Like, you know, I'm high. I'm losing my high, man. I got the shakes here. I need my drugs. There's no drugs. Um, so like, like I'll kill my shit. <laughs> yeah. Looking for the drugs, can't find any. Val Kilmer fucked it up because he just went crazy. And then, like, you know, there's the they're just running and she's fighting. She's like, she's all the human animals start to attack, and then she's kind of fighting like with this like cat like power, this cat human power. And she's like using her hands like claws and clawing at them and being effective at it for a little bit. But then ultimately there's just too many of them, they get overpowered. You know, as Zello's like, you know, the master never laid a finger on your pretty face. And then she gets almost like an off-screen death because you don't actually see her die. You just see her shadow because she gets hanged. Yeah. I guess, you know, I don't don't remember what this movie's rated PG-13 or R, but you don't actually see her hang, but you see her shadow. You know she is dead. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's like you have this character you set up pretty well. I'd say better than the original. At least she knows who she is. Like the Maria had no fucking idea she was a cat. I think <laughs> she's just like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine without the drugs. I, I don't know, but I need the drugs. But um, you know, she knows what she is, and she knows that like, if I like this human thing, and I, I want to be human as much as possible. You know, Moreau kind of trained his kids like that, and without this drug. I'm just going to go back to being cat. I don't want that. So, you know, you're kind of rooting for her. Like, I hope she gets this thing because, like you said, she is an innocent character. She's one of our few good characters in the remake. And uh, to ultimately just like, ah, just get rid of her. It's like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Who am I rooting for at this point? Everybody's fucking dying. Yeah, it's it's just such a weird um, turn, right? Like, again, you know, we talk about, like, rewriting the film. But, like, um, if... There was some sort of um, altercation like David Thule's, right? Like as she regressed, like if they had some kind of like fight because she was fighting with this human animal kind of thing, but then she ultimately saves him, that would have been interesting. Yeah. But there's nothing like that, right? It's nope. just like, I'm a cat now and yeah. I'm fighting. Ah. <laughs> and like, we're gonna, we're gonna like shoehorn in that like, oh yeah, my siblings like uh, resent me because I'm the most human. Um, that's not playing out throughout the film. They're all just kind of like very cool with each other until that one random line. (laughs) And, um, if they had played up, maybe some of that heat. Um, I think one of the things that we were talking about is like, there probably should have been less of these Moreau's children. Like, or if they were going to be there, they should have played with their, their duality because as a zealous, like you mentioned is like, also ends up being kind of like a big bad, right? Um, mm-hmm. Maling is like kind of a good guy, right? Um, she's just like almost filler. And it's just like, dude, somebody's got to, you know, push up against someone else. Like there's got to be like a conflict or something. Uh, and then just kind of like introduce it in five seconds and then kill the character off. It, it, 
terrible choice. Again, just a great setup. Do nothing with it because we don't know what we're doing in this movie, which is clearly being shown by the last three characters' deaths. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a roller coaster, you're like da, 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 and it just goes flat. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, and, and now we're just gonna cruise. <laughs> just gotta fill up that ninety minutes. Sad because, uh, like I said, I I felt like out of all of the characters in the film, I mean, one of the highlights is actually um, Feruza Balt. Um, for parts of the film, right? Like she's actually mm-hmm. when when the movie's making sense, she's actually a good character. And when the movie starts to not make sense, we just lose that, right? Shame. Let's go on to another character who's in both films. Definitely different, um, but I guess kind of important. So that's our Sayer of the Law, <laughs> Richard Basehart in the original. What is the law? Not to go on all fours. That is the law. And Ron Perlman in the remake. <laughs> we all want a thing that is bad. To walk on all fours. Wink and you miss. You have no idea Ron Perlman. Yeah, I, I didn't know until you mentioned it. Like, I didn't <laughs> check the IMDb. Uh, so yeah, the Sayer of the Law in the original film. Kind of an important character. Um, we talk about like kind of the duality with these mammals and like, you know, they're, they, they have, they're in conflict all the time. Do I give into my animal instincts or do I uh, kind of follow these new laws by the father? Kind of a nature versus nurture uh, mm-hmm. discussion here. And he's sort of the enforcer of man's laws. You know, a man does not walk on all fours. A man does not drink water from his the river with his mouth. A man does not kill, which we had brought up with Montgomery yeah. before. So, you know, he's constantly saying these laws. And then um, when Montgomery does get killed, he sort of leads the charge to be like, wait a minute, he's not following the laws. We're not following the laws. Let's fucking destroy everything. We have killed. We have broken the law. No more law. So he's very important. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. give in, but you know, <laughs> talk about unceremonious deaths, you know, because they do free the animals and he kind of is like, oh, fuck, what are we doing? And he kind of dies. <laughs> stupid ah. death. Puma. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. but he is still an important character um, throughout that original film. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, consistently throughout the film, Richard Basehart's Sayer of the Law is, uh, is critical to the film. Um, being executed properly, right? Like, uh, because, like I mentioned, there's not a lot of action, right? Um, but when the law is broken, because he's following the laws, okay, you said you're not supposed to do this. You've done this. I don't care if you're the father. In this, in this case, kind of like this godlike figure, you're not a keeper of the laws. So that's it, bro. Like, society is broken down. <laughs> Uh, and very quickly <laughs> in this case. Um, but like, it's, I like the consistency of it. I like that, you know, in his own way, like once this thin veneer of the law is broken, it all just devolves right back into this baser kind of more animalistic uh, take, which is kind of the point, right? <laughs> right? It's like, what's the difference between man and 
you know, beast, I guess. And, uh, and in this case, not much, <laughs> no. not much. No. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm not a major character, but definitely an important character when he is on screen, just because he does play out that, that conflict of kind of man versus beast that you described. Yeah. Uh, I was saying that and weirdly has a lot of lines. <laughs> Yeah, for this film, <laughs> a lot more than Ron Perlman's uh, Sayer of the Law for sure. He also does the same thing. Um, you know, let's uh, let's do this. This is what be this is what a man does. But he doesn't say it as often <laughs> as the original Sayer of the Law for sure. And when that turn comes, when the human animals rebel against Moreau, he doesn't lead the charge. He's sticking with those laws and. Because he does that, he just takes a back seat to all the action because we don't really fucking see him anymore. You know, it's one of those characters that, you know, you keep because he's so important in the original film, but the choices that they make uh, limit Ron Perlman's, like you said, involvement in scope. Um, when Basehart sees the law is broken, he takes action. Mm-hmm. When Ron Perlman sees the law is broken, he just kind of goes about his day and just keeps repeating balls will clearly have no uh, no weight what's his purpose I mean um, I mentioned him briefly earlier but like hyena swine or whatever is doing <laughs> a lot of the uh, philosophical thinking about laws and ethics uh, the law sayer Ron Perlman in this case is just a blind follower he's a, he's a zealot with no real arc right he's just like these are still the laws, and there's like clearly not. Look, at, look around you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything goes to hell around him, and he's not even. I don't even remember him after like Azazello and you know Hyena Swine kind of take over. Like, what was he doing? Like, you think like they would maybe have a conflict with him? Like, it's like, well, don't you understand, old man? The, the laws are broken. You, if you either with us or you die. Like, you think there'd be some type of conflict like that? But that would have worked. <laughs> would have been something, you know, <laughs> instead of what we got with him. He's just there in the beginning, kind of in the middle, and there at the end. Uh, and yeah, like at the end, they're they're trying to like kind of keep him in this like high regard, like the original sayer of the law. And they're like, well, what should we do? Is like, why are you getting any advice from this guy? He's not important. <laughs> <laughs> at all like i guess he knows the laws but because other animals i mean something as simple as other human animals talk he's not that important like in the original film base Heart's one of the few human animals that actually has dialogue he's one of the few people that have dialogue so mm-hmm. like his uh his rage has, has that weight that you talked about ron Perlman is just another guy with his own kind of opinions and mm-hmm. he's such a backseat character like Val Kilmer is more relevant when it comes to laws, which is saying a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, like I mentioned, uh, Lomai and Hyena Swine, like they, they're more consequential to, like I said, this sort of ethical discussion than the laws here. He, he just repeats the laws with no, no import. He's not, he's not important. And uh, they can't convince me that he is <laughs> at the end of the film because everything I saw before that. Yeah, I, mean, I think you nailed it before. It's just a character to have in the remake because he was so important in the original. So we have to have him. We're not going to do anything because we don't really have him because we have so many characters. So he's just going to be there and maybe at the end he'll show up. But yeah, he was uh, just there because he was in the original. Yeah, that's that's it. And uh, 
you know, it's it's a shame. Like you get a guy like Ron Perlman who uh, he's great with like this type of like prosthetic and like makeup work. Yeah, you know? he was the Beast in the almost... Beauty and the Beast show uh, with Linda Hamilton in the late eighties. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Hellboy, all that stuff. I mean, like you get a guy with chops like that, and you give him you know, those three lines to say that were just an original film. Man does this, man doesn't do that. Like, and that's it. Uh, like I said, uh, another character that um, it's a shame because there's a lot of space to like run with this character and they uh, they do nothing with him. And uh, unfortunately, it seems to be a, a growing trend with uh, the characters in this film. All right. Well, that pretty much does it for this portion of uh, the review. Um Go back to live action now. So let's go on to another minor character who's in both films. Uh, this is the only other character that's, that is in both films. That's Maling. Mm-hmm. And that is portrayed by Nick Kravitz in the original. And Marco Hofschneider in the remake. I'll give uh, Nick Kravitz's character this in the uh, original film. His existence is meaningful. Um because he's clearly like a, whatever a human animal or something like that mm-hmm. in a film that at the point where he's introduced is sparse with human animals. His very existence right. is a uh, odd. He's the first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's our introduction to the world. He's our introduction to a lot of things. He's our introduction to the fact that they're human animals. He's our introduction to the fact that they can regress mm-hmm. turn back into animals. Right. And ultimately, you know, he he does kind of die but you know he kind of sacrificed himself so he's like a human animals can kind of be kind of human right. i guess in that debate that's right. happening throughout the film yeah in, in the remake i mean he's basically relegated to the role of one of moreau's sons one of moreau's sons yeah and because he's one of moreau's sons of course his impact is weakened um there's elements of him that i like in the remake like you know he really wants to be human in more of like the intellectual sense like he reads um he tries to figure out how to like right. fix things but he's just super minor again i think the setup is great yeah. with his character yeah. you know he's uh like you said he's trying his best he's reading books uh to everybody yeah. and then he's, he's being like you know applauded by his father like, oh that was so great and you know he's trying his best to be human so again that conflict between like human and animal which one am i going right. to be he would have been one of the great characters to follow if that was one of the it, conflicts in the movie, but unfortunately it's not. I hate rewriting films, but you, you almost do it so much with this movie. You've got the one brother, right? Right, we'll get to him. Who's more like that edgier, darker side of this. You got Malene, maybe those two battle it right. out. Maybe Malene... Right. Instead of like when he tries to fix the communication, Val Kimmer just being like, what, "What are you doing?" Like maybe, maybe something happens there. You know, like they just they just drop the ball so much. Like you can always play with duality. So yes. if you you have the one character who's going back to this animal sort of mean. One character is trying to be more human, reads and stuff like that. Um, sure, he may not be able to beat his brother in physical right. combat, but maybe there's something mentally something. That Man, like that, he does that. You know, helps move the story along, and then it's not there. It's not there. He's just he's just some guy in this movie, and like at least in the original, like you said, 
look at how much Malin does for us as an audience and for uh, for the protagonist. Like he introduces so many elements, and for him to take this back seat is a uh, kind of a shame because they just introduce so many characters that don't need to be there. Yeah, I like his setup, like I said, but you know they almost have that kind of face off at the end, mm -hmm. but they never really kind of follow through because the brother gets killed by. Our other, our, our, I guess, our main villain in the remake. Right, right. So they never get to have that face off. Instead, he kind of faces off the hyena. And yeah, it is definitely a missed opportunity because you have two sons, and like, what an interesting dynamic just having two sons like raised by the father. One's gonna follow the father's law, and one's gonna disobey. Which one's gonna win in the end? What a compelling dynamic that would have been. Boy, that would have been great. You know, it's almost like. <laughs> We gotta stop rewriting these movies. I just, I just, I'm sitting there, and I wasn't thinking about it when I was watching the movie, right? Because I was, there's so much other things distracting me. But as we're yeah. talking about, it, I'm like, well, look at this guy who's over here doing yeah. stuff yeah. to ultimately do nothing. It's, mm. Unfortunately, that happens quite a bit in his remake. So, yeah. hate to move on from Malin, but he's so unimportant. Yeah. So let's get to the other characters. Uh, it's mostly the remake because. There are a lot more human animals mm -hmm. in the remake than there are in the original. I'd say, like, maybe a baker's dozen in that original yeah. film as opposed yeah. to, like, you got a kind of, like, a society going there, on there in the are. remake. Like I said, you know, I appreciate the upgrade <laughs> from caves to, like, at least something that looks like a village or a tribe. That was cool. Anyways, so let's get to our other characters in the remake. Kind of an important one that we mm -hmm. barely touched upon is Daniel Rigney is the hyena slash swine. If there's no more pain. Pick up on the swine part. Swine. I know I definitely got the hyena from all the yeah. laughing yeah. and all that stuff. Um, so this is our main antagonist. Yeah. In the remake, yeah. which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Not one I necessarily there, agree with. There's a uh, there's a fight at the end of the first movie, and apparently because I went on Wikipedia when they're in the boat, that right. that was a hyena okay. character. So like I guess. That's the analogy. So Super unimportant in the original. Yeah. Just kind of... Just nothing. there. The last, the last hurrah time. or the fight, whatever. Yeah. Final fight. Final fight. But this Rigney character, I mean, it's strange that they've chosen him to be our antagonist, but he mm -hmm. has a pretty decent arc. He has a pretty decent arc. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm going to mention another character just because he's sort of the motivation. Mm -hmm. So that's our Mark Dacascos, the uh, guy from Double Dragon. Nice. He says, uh, Lomai... And it's Lomai's death that kind of sets Hyena off. Right. Because, yeah. And like we said, it's not Moreau that administers the death, but it's actually another character. <laughs> and that's uh, Tamora Morrison as Azazello. I'm sorry, Father. I thought you wanted me to protect the law. And that's the other son. Right. Only he's like he's the, the second. He's another son. Yeah. There's a third son too. That's like, what what's pissing me off. And we I don't, don't, even, I don't know. even know who the I fuck don't, that guy is. Fuck that guy. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so these are um, pretty much the rest of the characters. Are, um, there's also one more. We had mentioned the mini me. I'll just throw him in right now, just in case we got anything to say. That's Nelson De La Rosa as Magi. Magi, would you present yourself? Um, the mini Moreau. I'm just throwing him in there. 
just to quickly get my jai out of the way, uh, Marlon Brando took a strange obsession to uh, Nelson De La Rosa, the, the person, mm-hmm. and insisted that he was in the movie. Okay, so that was a Brando pull. That was a Brando pull, and that's why they play the piano, because Brando's like, we gotta get this guy more screen time. No, that's so funny, because like in the... Austin Powers, they did just the two of us. Yeah. So that was this exact where they got it from. Oh, shit. That's crazy. I just made that connection. Now, yeah. I know Mini-Me was inspired by this, but I'm just thinking of the scene yeah. and doing just the two of us. Yeah. So, instead of doing Chopin. You know, my guy hands him the uh, zapper when it doesn't work, but that is kind of connected to uh, all the stuff. So, like, Lomai was interesting. Yeah. So, Lomai is the one who breaks the law. Right. He kills the rabbit. Right. And, you know, you think you think he might be, like, a potential villain. Mm-hmm. But, no, he kind of uh, charges and he gets zapped and then he gets shot yeah. <laughs> right away. Yeah. And not by Moreau, which I thought was a terrible big, choice. Big, big miss. I feel like he should have been, if he's the god mm-hmm. of these human animals, that he should be the one, you know, enforcing the law. Right. Instead... You know, uh, uh, Zello kills him, and then Moreau's like, why'd you do that? And it's like, no, this, you should do it, because this is your turn to villainy, yeah. man. I think they thought they wrote themselves in a corner, because in the original film, when Moreau kills, that was the impetus. But, like, because they broke so many other rules, kind of, like, it didn't, like, it would have been perfectly fine. Yeah, and you're barely using the laws at all in yeah. the remake so i don't even think it would have mattered you know you could just give put a kibosh in the whole laws yeah. thing because the laws here like barely did shit yeah and then like azazello really never progresses to the point where it makes sense for him to be the one that took that shot he really doesn't have a real motivation right like no he he says it was he got it from montgomery so then everybody looks at montgomery and that's mm-hmm. it there's like well, let's have, you know, again, I keep saying Montgomery's trying to undermine Moreau the whole remake. Let's get a scene. I know it's hard with these two actors. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, where, like, Moreau confronts him. He's like, what right. are you doing? Right. You cooked a rabbit. Yep. Then you're having my son kill. Yeah. What are you doing here? Right. There needs to be some tension between these two characters. Instead, we have two actors who don't want to talk. So we're going to just completely ignore this whole it's situation. Like, what's that about? Like, oh. yeah. They just accept that. Yeah, like, they look at Valcomer. Valcomer's just... There's shrugs. It's like, what the fuck? Let's do something here, man. Yeah. Which, you know, unfortunately, uh, with Lomai, it kind of, you know, I hate to say this, but, like, sort of undermines his art because, like, Lomai is, like, not in the movie much. And you're right. You would think he would kind of be the guy. Right. Um, but then, like, Lomai is a proxy for right. Hyena. Right. Because Hyena's like, yo, what happened to Lomai is bullshit. Right. And he, uh, you know... He's really upset that, like, I guess he cares about the laws. So he's like, man, they killed Lomai. That wasn't fair. He uh, finds a way to take out his own sort of um, implant. There's these implants in each of the human animals that allows Moreau or whoever to control them by, like, it's basically like a shock collar. Yeah, yeah, shock collar. <laughs> yeah. An internal shock collar. Yeah. It's a shock kidney. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, Lomai's death allows Hyena to go out and, like, basically game the system and say, oh, okay, when they kill Lomai, this is a lot of stuff, but, like, when they kill, <laughs> when they kill Lomai, Moreau, I guess, again, undermining his character by making him have an honorable, like, send-off for Lomai. He's like, we're going to cremate the body because that's what we do because that's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. which allows Hyena to realize that, like, there's an implant. 
in all of them, which when he found the implant in Lomai's remains, he was like, I have an implant. He pulls out his implant, basically makes him like a super villain type character now because he cannot feel the pain anymore. You cannot um, feel pain, Snake. <laughs> snake, it hurts me, Snake. <laughs> um, whew, it gets convoluted. But basically, this disillusioned hyena, now that he does not feel pain, now he, he does not believe in the father, um, he's basically kind of able to amass more or less zealots and tr try to take over, try to take out Moreau, mm -hmm. which he does very early in the film. Um, and... I don't know. From there, it's just it's it works, but it's kind of muddy, man. That's all I gotta say. About I don't it. I don't like it. Uh, I don't I, like you know. It's it's kind of the it's the Frankenstein story. Mm -hmm. Frankenstein's the monster, not the monster, right? right? You make Frankenstein the villain, but no, we let's make one of his monsters the villain. I, eh, yeah. It don't work for me. I, make Brando the villain. That's all right. you gotta do, man. Right. You're right there. Brando in the original film, it's really straightforward, but yes. Dr. Moreau is the villain. Yeah. He's the villain. When he kills Montgomery, he's the villain. This brand of, I want him to have an honorable death. I want him yeah. to, I don't want them to eat the animals. So, like, he's playing both sides of his fence. Like, you were doing crimes against humanity and, and nature. Nature, yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to pull that back with, like, he's a vegan? Like, <laughs> just, I don't know, man. And to your point, like, it's not hyena's fault. That he gets tortured and um, his DNA was messed with, and right. that he exactly. recognizes the system. Yes. Is, is so why are we fucked? making him the villain? Like, it's, it's, yeah, he's he's a sympathetic character. His friend died. Mm -hmm. He realizes he's being manipulated through his implant. Yep. You know, and then he, he, he's being turned against his nature, against right. his will. Right. Let's make him the villain. What? Right. <laughs> let's let's skip Montgomery. Right. <laughs> and we're gonna make hyena. Yeah. The villain. The character I was just introduced to because Lomai, a character I was just introduced to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Die. <laughs> like, it doesn't. <laughs> we're so many. <laughs> we're so many degrees of separation from Dr. Moreau <laughs> that, like, it's not the daughter, it's not one of the sons. Like what? That third random. Yeah. Like maybe son. Like maybe. Doctor Moreau. Okay, maybe it's Lobby. No. no, it's his friend. What the fuck? <laughs> you. Based off of just the hierarchy, it's like Moreau, Montgomery, Azazello, maybe Mailing, but no, he. I know. He's a nice guy. That other son who we don't even know who his name is. The daughter, you know, maybe maybe her regression makes her have to deal with her humanity. I hate rewriting scripts, but like. We passed <laughs> 17 characters. <laughs> Even the, the fucking, uh, the, the law <laughs> is higher on the hierarchy to hyena? Yeah, who who just says Lomai's name like oh at the my. trial? That's how we're introducing this guy? <laughs> we're gonna have a trial. It's, it's like, whoa, man. And then for you to be the last man standing. <laughs> Last humanimal standing is hyena swine. <laughs> that shit is <laughs> bonkers, dude. Everyone should have been fired. <laughs> really scraping the bottom of the barrel of melons in this movie. <laughs> but you know what? I'll give him this. He served honorably. He was uh, as low of importance. His 
arc was somewhat compelling. He's the only one that had an arc. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm grasping at straws because that's what they gave us to work with. He's the only one that had an arc. Man, yeah. Because he, he kills Morel and then he basically just like goes to find Gun so he can get more control. It's just great. He has this great play on the laws right before he kills yeah. Moreau. Yeah. Like you said, that no pain, no love. That's a great line. It's an amazing line. I'll it's take amazing... that. But you gave it to the lowest fucking character. As a Zello should be the one who does not feel pain because he's the closest to his father. He like It would have given him so much agency. It could have been like... I. I know what right, right. Right, right. So like, Every time we rewrite the movie, you got to drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, uh, audience, what if Azello, when like Maling or whatever, tried to like um, uh, communicate with people instead of Val Kimmer being like, what the fuck? What if it was Azazello? And what if Azazello started zapping Maling and then he took him out? And now Azazello, who has removed his own implant for reasons, like he shot Lomai, why not him, right? Why not him? Maybe he becomes the god of all the human animals because he no longer feels pain and he has his crazy like um, ethics around it. Like uh, instead of all the stuff Moreau tried to make him do, uh, Hyena was basically like the opposite is good. Being an animal is good. Azazel seems like the most likely person to, to do that. And yet it's Hyena Swine <laughs> who again... <laughs> Wait, wait, what's what's with the swine? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. One thing I don't that know, would rep- say just like, that he had any pig DNA. <laughs> maybe it's like a reek thing. I just don't. I'm sorry. I, I just, dude, what are we doing? But right, you I, know, I, but look, at least it helped us move the movie along. It did. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I think I, I really do want to get more mm-hmm. into that. Um, you know, the dynamic between Azazello and uh, Hyena, but I think sure. we need to go over the endings. Yes. Like, that's, that's really the only way we can... That's really where things reach <laughs> ahead. So, like, as usual, I'm going to start with the original because it's just a lot simpler. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm going to start... Gear with... up. <laughs> so this is the original film, how it kind of ends. Andrew Broderick decides to get off the island with Maria, and then this is where Moreau starts to take his villainous turn. He mm-hmm. injects Braddock right outside his room with the serum. And then he experiments on Braddock to make him into an animal. And I, was, I wasn't exactly sure. I think it, mo- it was mostly implied that it was to um, suggest that he could change anybody's nature or anything's nature. But yeah. he also had suggested that he needed to figure out what it was like when things were regressing right. too. So right. he kind of threw that in there. So like changing a human would allow him to speak with a human and be like, hey, how right. you feeling, bro? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Exactly explain the the whole regression process, but mostly to prove like a point to, you know, to just show his dick size and mm-hmm. be like, oh, I can make nature change, bro. He does that. And while he's doing that, this is where Montgomery comes into play. And then he says, what are you doing? Like you said, he says, well, are you going to do that to me next? He's like, we need to get rid of him. And this is where he does drop that cool line. It's like, you've been drinking for a couple of days. Let's, let's, let's do it another one. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And he's like, where's the keys? He's they're in my room. Go get them. And this is where he just shoots him. You're like, okay. It's clearly our villain right yeah. here. He just shot Montgomery in the back. He had a lab gun. <laughs> yeah, was, you gotta look out for those lab guns. In my room. 
So um, Montgomery's death, though, is very important because it is a catalyst because Maling, mm-hmm. surprisingly, this is interesting, Maling playing both sides here, lets the other humanimals take Montgomery's body to the cave, and this is where the humanimals are like, wait a minute, but man does not kill, but man has clearly killed. Yep. So, well, yep. that one law is broken. Let's break all the laws. They start to rebel. They go towards the the site, which has like these weak bamboo gates outside that anybody could break down with totally. a sneeze. And uh, <laughs> Moreau, for some reason, decides to go outside the gates instead of, <laughs> instead of like behind the safety of the bamboo. And uh, they immediately attack him and maim him, and he's almost dead. And then Brodick has broken out with the help of Maria, and he's about to kill him, but he decides not to. Also, before this, um, Brodick is challenging Moreau's. He's like, I'm not changing into human. He's like, to become um, become an animal. He's like, I'm not. I remember my my brother Bobby on a lake (laughs) at one time. It was very cold, a very cold lake. This very long monologue. Died in the fire. (laughs) It's a very long monologue, but the point is understood that like he has not lost his humanity he's still very much man even human though he dude. looks not even that mm-hmm. ugly michael york's a good looking guy this this, yeah. this man only becomes not that hideous yeah it's like teen wolfie you know? yeah. <laughs> so that happens but and then he breaks out with maria's help and he's able to see moreau dying he doesn't kill him ultimately lets moreau just succumb to his wounds and the animals are out there freaking out, like, we we killed him, we killed him. But for some reason, uh, Braddock's like, I'm going to lift his dead body and yeah. say he's alive. Which made no sense to me. Nope. Because <laughs> like, they knew he was dead. You're just hanging a dead body that's not moving yeah. and saying it's alive. The- which was confusing. And, like, I don't even understand the motivation entirely. Because, like, I'm going to say he's alive. And then they'll, they'll gasp for, like, five seconds I before know. they break down the I gate. Know. If they believe the father is still alive, perhaps they'll believe in the laws. And it's like, that worked for like 30 seconds. They're like, is he alive? No, they, they, they literally are poking him with a stick. It is fucking hilarious. It's pretty good. <laughs> so they realize he's dead. And then they break down the bamboo gate, like I said, like yep. very easily. So easy. And uh, they <laughs> unleash all hell on this site. They free all the animals, which which Big is mistake. which was interesting because you think, oh, they're giving more to their animal nature. They're freeing the animals. Them and the animals are going to kind of team up. But no, the no. animals just kill all of them. <laughs> it is nuts. I was just like so confused. Like, wait, so they're not working with the animals? Those animals did what God should have done. <laughs> the animals are just slaughtering them. It's Our lawsayer is killed. Everybody gets killed. A fire starts. The whole fucking set goes up in a blaze of glory. It is incredible because I'm pretty sure they just lit everything on fire. It didn't look like a miniature to me. They just lit everything on fire. Like, we got everything? I hope we did because we're lighting it on fire today. (laughs) (laughs) So everything goes up in flames. Um, So we got Braddock, Maria, and Maling all leave the compound. Maling uh, gets found and one of the animals kills him. Uh, I think it's the hyena, probably. Up, yeah. So um, Braddock and Maria make it to the the boat, and they're gonna get off the island off that little dinky boat sure. somehow. Sure. Sure. And uh, like one more minute, the hyena comes and like fights Braddock. This amazing fight on a boat where <laughs> Maria is just constantly swinging that goddamn rower, just trying to trying to hit him. And uh, also, some good wax in there with that. She got, she got some good wax in there. <laughs> 
But ultimately, uh, Brack's the one that just stabs the hyena in the eye. At that point, like, they're leaving the island. We see the whole island is in flames. It's a pretty a lot of fire. Yeah. All the human animals are dead. <laughs> yes. Everybody's yes. dead on that island. No survivors. The movie ends. Braddock wakes up. He's no longer human animal. He's back to human form. He goes, he goes, Maria, there's a boat here. And then we don't see Maria's face. We just see her hair. She's kind of like in the corner, kind of crouching. Like, what's going on with Maria? He sees the boat. He's like, over here, over here. And then there's just a quick shot of Maria turning around. Blink if you miss it. Her eyes yep. and teeth look a little fucking weird. Mm -hmm. She's regressing. Twist ending. Yeah. She was a cat or something the whole Old time. time. Cuts right there, pretty much. We do not see what Braddock's reaction to it. Nope. He never gets to take it in. We don't get to take in him taking it in. I it, think it's definitely can, a blink and you'll miss it because I was like, mm. I I'm watching this thing on. Uh, I rented it on Amazon. It was an SD. It was not an HD. So it was very oh, pixelated rough. for me. That's rough. So I was like, she looked kind of different, but I didn't understand it. I had to go on Wikipedia just yeah. to make sure that they were implying that she was, in fact, one of the human animals. Oh, I missed it. Even, like, after knowing that ending, like, I went back and kind of looked at it. I was like, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know? They really needed to show Braddock's reaction to it. Yeah. That really would have solidified it. Yeah. His horror to realizing what she was and the fact that the whole island was destroyed and she could never go yeah. back. And why didn't we get that? I don't know. Especially because they banged. My <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, dick was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely nuts. Wild ending. Um, but, you know, what I will give that original film is that it's always kind of consistent with the themes that right. it's set up, right? Like, any thread that they put out there, they pulled it, you got the reveal, that ending with her becoming a cat was a little ambiguous, but at least it was there, like, she was uh, a human animal the whole time. So, alright, whatever. Um, I thought it was a little bit of a cop-out that he, but I guess with the regression, it makes sense, that he just kind of turned back into a human. Um, I feel like, no, I, I thought that was always going to happen because that was the whole point of Moreau injecting him. He's like, you're going to, when you regress, I need to understand, I need you to tell me what's yeah. happening. That way I can fix it. Right. So I always assumed that was going to happen. That's fair. It, look, uh, it works. I thought the uh, hyena fight at the end was really a lot for me because at that point there was so much happening. I was like, man, I, I guess we're done. There was like one more fight and I was like, jeez, dude. You guys are killing me. So I had issues with the ending. The 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 animals killing all the human animals. That was, was just kind of funny. Was, but also yeah, like, it, it was funny because I I really thought all animals and the human animals are they're embracing their animal nature. Living together, so they're gonna, in perfect yeah, harmony. Exactly. <laughs> no, not in perfect harmony. <laughs> they got fucked right away. It's like, animal and animal. It's like, it's, it's like you think you fear these animal activists going to labs and like freaking yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like imagine that, but it's in freeing the animals immediately did. getting mauled by the animals you're free. It was just it was it was comical it and was. it shouldn't have been. No, it should have been like this big swelling, like dramatic moment. It was just like, ah, oh, I made mistakes. <laughs> that was fun. That was a fun, weird ass ending. Yeah, and I really, you know. You talked about like the ambiguity of Maria, but like for a movie that hasn't been very—I mean, I guess it's been ambiguous—but 
they really kind of just laid things out very clearly at the end. Mm -hmm. To leave that kind of ambiguous, I, I thought that was a misstep. I think they yeah. should have just kept going. Yeah. Let's let's see the reaction. Yeah, we, to, to, we need to see his. I need I need some shock and Freud. I need to see yeah. his agony, and I'll enjoy it yeah. a little bit more. It's like yeah, we did the turn in the film. Like the first half of the movie, what's going on? The second half of the movie, this is what's going on. For that to be kind of like, eh, you're right, that is yeah. a bit of a misstep. But like I said, we both kind of missed it. I missed it, it completely. Yeah. I, I was like, I couldn't tell if like her face had changed or she was just like really crying a lot because, you know, makeup runs and yeah. <laughs> kind of just changes the way you look. Yeah, but it's like the, the Wikipedia is like her cat eyes. I'm like, well, I'm watching this on HD and it's standard Dude, definition I, and I can't I, see shit. I was, looking at, I was looking for it and I was like. But you felt it was coming, right? Like, this, uh, yeah, yeah. Right, like yeah. she's clearly a humanity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody on that island is human. It'd be, she weird, has to be, it'd be weird if she wasn't. You'd right. Be like, oh, this random chick was just there. Yeah. Like, so, like you know, it's it's that it's twist ending, but yeah. I, I feel like they could have leaned into it a lot. They needed more. a nice little thriller turnaround. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> would have been. That would have solidified it. Yeah, a little Vincent Price voiceover, please. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So that's the ending of the original. Not a great ending, but at least it kind it, of accomplished it, the overall the theme that it was, you know, got going the over the whole time. It got the jab done, exactly. But it, you're right. It was not a great ending. It just, no. it wasn't ending. It was an ending. Yeah. At least we, get, we got some closure, I suppose. <laughs> Here's the ending of the remake. I'm going to see how you do Are this. Are you ready? So I'm going to, st I start where Hyena removes his electric node thing uh so hyena removes his electric chip that causes pain he recruits others and visits moreau a seemingly cordial visit turns oh, violent as hyena and others kill moreau the creatures are taking over and even one of moreau's sons azazello joins aisa is regressing back to a cat so douglas tries to find a serum he runs into montgomery who has gone fucking nuts. <laughs> he destroys the serum and acts like a Moreau parody. He acts godlike and gives everyone drugs. Nice. <laughs> you cast pearls before swine. Like, All right, dude. Azazello kills him. <laughs> Douglas looks for a serum but discovers he's been experimented on in an attempt to stop Iza's regression. They go somewhere. I don't exactly. It wasn't explained. They just go somewhere. Uh, and they run into Azazello. Douglas gets captured and Aisa gets killed. Meanwhile, Hyena and his crew have been getting guns, blowing stuff up, and are trying to convince everyone they're in charge. They get the captured Douglas and kill Azazello. <laughs> we'll get, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, Douglas then tricks Hyena into killing his own men. Madness ensues and everyone fights. Ultimately, Hyena is fatally wounded and dies in a fire, crying out to father. <laughs> Everything burns down. The next day, Douglas tells the lost heir, hey, there he is, yep. um, that he will bring scientists to help everyone. But the lost heir says, no, let's just nature run its course. And then Douglas says, okay, I guess I'll just warn people, warn people not to do what Moreau has done the end yeah a couple things that i want to hit on uh because this is a great description i'm glad that you were able to <laughs> kind of paper over that because that 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 was tough it was, rough. it was i know that was difficult to do like i said i've said this before once moreau dies the movie takes a 
very steep decline. Yes. You would just, yeah. you had all this set up and then just kind of just, what happened? I, I guess for me, let's start with the, like you said, they go into that random like cave or whatever the hell that was. Um, they send a bunch of human animals up on an elevator and they're still down there. And I used to... Why are they there? I don't know. I don't know okay. why they're there. Because they um, were in the lab. They could have uh, gone on an elevator and they could have left. But they well, were still, was that where the lab was though? I thought the lab was above ground. I, I believe it was. So I don't know what, what that was. I don't know was. what they're doing I, down I, there. I don't know what that was. They were in the lab Maybe because he found out, out. He found the 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 file, right? With the pictures, and he found felt the thing in his arm. Sure. And then she joins him. He kind of cries a little bit. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're just wandering where Val Kilmer was killed. For, right. For not necessarily any reason, like. Are they getting off the island? Are they still trying to find a serum? Like, their yeah. motivation at that point is unclear as to why they're there. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, Isa or whatever, she's regressing. She fights, like, some of the bad human animals. Right. Azzello shows up, and, like, I, I don't even remember the line. It doesn't really matter. He's like, um, he, you know, father used to beat us. Oh, yeah, never laid right. a finger on your perfect skin. Yeah. And then he just chuck, tries a rope around her neck, throws her... Pretty much cracks her neck and kills her. I thought that was the strangest shit on the planet. Like, I just was like, okay, I guess we killed the love interest for reasons that are unknown to me. Given the ending that you just described with the other film. Right. right? For that character to die there is just so strange. There was no buildup. There was no reason. I've never seen any tension. Right, between without, those two characters. Like, 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 there's no jealousy. Like... You never saw like oh the favorite kid and then him him just in the background you, like being told to shut up because like which refers her again you can start drinking because I'm rewriting the film oh here um, we go my link being a reader and her being basically human and the third guy just pretend like he's not there right yeah, he's two not reasons there. why Azazello should be jealous never comes up yeah never comes up but like if you did that right if like this one reads good and this one looks like a fucking shit someone would bang. Um, <laughs> Um, you, I don't know, you, like, because he's the oldest, like, you were the first one, you didn't quite get the serum right, you know? But, like, for him to just throw that out there that late in the game, was like, well, this is irrelevant. His turn doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. doesn't. He just shows up to Hyena. Hyena's pouring gasoline on the only deck to, the boat to get off the island, and, like, he's about to get killed by Hyena, and he goes, whoa, I know we're going to get guns. And it's like, okay, you're a villain now. Yeah, yeah, yes. But like, Where'd that come from? Yeah, but like, if you're going to go this route, right? Like, if, if Azazel is going to kill her, right? Because um, Hyena was pretty skeptical of him. He right. was, like, going to take him out. He's like, I got guns. Right. Right? Azazel, I'm assuming, is smarter than Hyena. Perhaps he parlays that into now he's in charge. Why is Hyena still in charge? If Azazel has this connection to the father, he's got the most... Like, if we're going to do this weird, like, Christian-y, like... <laughs> Theological theme, like why isn't the son of the father the the savior? Because Azazella didn't have the men, and uh, Hyena did, so he's gonna. I get you know, it's like I said, the motivate. Why are you turning in the first right. place? Right. And then, like you said, like why are you not taking charge? Right. You have you have the wherewithal. You you know where everything is, right. and you are the and, prodigal son. And if he's gonna kill his sister, and if he knows where the guns are, then he should. Like, we've made the turn. He's scarred now, right? Like, he's scarred yeah. from the fucking Lion King. So he should now be the villain. Right, right. But they just kill him 
Immediately after that. Again, another unceremonious death. It's like, he's like, I got the prisoner. He's like, great. Yeah. Mows him with fucking lead. And it's like, wait, why did Hyena just kill Azazello? It, it, it's like, if you're going to introduce Azazello, right? Like, so what, that a Hyena was the last guy they fought in the first film? That doesn't matter. Like, the first film <laughs> is, is in the rear mirror after what Brando and Kilmer did. I just, like, why would you even introduce this character if the other guy's going to be the villain throughout? Like, right. I love, look, I love humans with AKs. It's funny to me. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of fucking goofy. But, like, it, again, sorry. Um, but moving forward, it just seems like a weird choice. Um, no, his death, his death seems like, well, we don't know how to do this character anymore. Let's just kill him. Mm-hmm. It was completely That's unmotivated. So... He gave Hyena what he wanted. Yep. He gave him a prisoner. A very important prisoner, yes. and for some reason he gets killed. What? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. And after all this nonsense happens, like when Douglas is captured, and Hyena's basically trying to say, hey, look, for no reason, because it doesn't make sense that Douglas would be the one, yeah. maybe because he's the five man, he's got five fingers, maybe because he's the five man, some of the humanimals will listen to him, but like, why do the humanimals care if Douglas says he's God now? Yeah. They have all the weapons. If the other human animals don't want to listen, they'll just kill them. Right, right. Like, why do we need this man to tell... And especially because they don't even care about their human nature anymore. No. They, they're giving him more to their animal right. nature. If there is no pain, there is no law. You can inflict pain. You are the law. You right. are the law. Right? So... <laughs> so what if Douglas says that you're God? And then, for them to be like, well... Who's God? Is he you? Or is that random guy whose character, I don't know what his name is, and then they point to another guy, who I thought was the same character they just pointed to seconds ago because of the makeup, and I'm like... By the way, <laughs> his his delivery of that line, well, who's God now? You? There's hey. gotta be one. Yeah. He's like, well, is he on drugs now? Yeah. I was like, I didn't... <laughs> there's an urgency here, man, and you're not playing into yeah, it. Yeah. You were kind of, there's gotta be a God one. It's like... Yeah. He's like, Keanu can deliver that with fucking more fucking urgency. No, I know. So then, because he's now introduced the human animals, the theology, uh, 201, we got past 101, uh, the father and the laws, right? Now it's 201. Well, who is God? And like, that was too much for their brains, so they just AK each other, which is, again, funny to Again, me. it's just like, well, we need to kill these people. What do we do? Just have them kill each other, I guess. It's... it's it's sloppy fucking writing, or really whatever is. the fuck it you really want to call is. it, man. It really People is. are just dying these completely unceremonious deaths for no fucking reason, other than we don't know what to do with these characters. It, Let's get rid of them. Exactly. Like, all this shit happens. Hyena kills his own men. It gets nuts. Hyena's fatally wounded, like you said, and cries out to his father. They burn all, all this shit to shit. The law sayer is like, oh, I don't want. Uh, we're good. That's kind of it. And then Doug's is like, all right, if you're good, I'm good. And then you just, you just leave. And that's, that's the end of this film. Like I said, they really just gave no fucks after uh, Moreau died. Like, yeah. a movie really just takes this downhill fucking <laughs> dive. I, yeah. Those were my beefs with the ending. Is like, that it? <laughs> I mean, there's more. But, like, you know, Azazello being elevated but not elevated enough. I... Aisa just being randomly murdered, um, which is not consistent with the original film, which I'm okay with if you did something with it, right? right? But they didn't. Um, and Hyena being so important, 
It just yeah, none of it made sense. And Val Kilmer being so unimportant. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I said, man. You make Frankenstein the villain, not the monster. That was that was your fucking yeah. dumb choice. Yeah. There. I mean, granted, maybe maybe like, Brando, maybe Brando was like, well, I'm not doing it anymore. Lines. Yeah. Uh, have you killed? Yep. I can make the monster the yeah. villain. Yeah. That, then, that's a terrible choice. And then Kilmer wants out, like, you know, like, he's not going to deliver any more, like, big theological lines. So, like, all right, I guess we killed you like this. So now, so now, like, we've gone so far down the roster. <laughs> yeah. As to who's the villain. We got, we got fucking people off the practice squad fucking going. <laughs> and then that bullshit ass monologue at the end. The more I look at man, I wonder, are we so different than the animals? Yes. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, fucking, yeah, humans argue and they get into wars and shit sometimes. But, like, I don't know, like, we're not doing, well, not all the time. We're not doing genetic experiments and zapping animals and shit like that. Like, yeah, we're different, bro. Like, most people aren't fucking monsters, man. I don't know. It was a weird, weird-ass ending. It was weird. <laughs> I, I, mean, I really don't know what else to add other than the movie really falls apart after Moreau dies. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> Thankfully, though, both of these movies are they just a little bit over an hour and a half. Yes. They're not that, like two-hour epics. Man, that was my favorite part. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. when, I, when I watched the first one, I was like, all right, an hour and a half. Uh, like, yeah. It got a little choppy for me right. throughout it. And then when I saw the next one, I was like, Brando and Kilmer. Oh, we're gonna do like two and a half. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gonna be one of those movies. It's even shorter than the original. So good. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> what do you think about the effects? Well, I guess when you talk about the effects, you're talking mostly about the makeup jobs, and yeah. the uh, human animals, and you know, I, I think each film in their respective era mm -hmm. uh, works. I think they look more human in '77. Yeah, they look more animal. In the remake, real, real Planet of the Apes type situation. Um, yeah, it, it, I got yeah. mad Planet of the yeah. Apes vibes, especially from the original film. Mm -hmm. It was like, what, they should, maybe they just use some leftover masks or something. Yeah, I love both films. Mostly use practical effects. Oh. There's a lot. There's CGI for the low my character. Yeah. Anytime any of the animals have to move like, or human animals have to move like animals, they use CGI because human can't move like that. Um, and it, it it doesn't look good, but the no. makeup job I would say for the most part looks pretty good. Yeah. You know, it looks cheesy in the original. It looks they look more animal in the remake. But for what they had, I think both films looked fine. Yeah, makeup wise. yeah. It was like those weird CGI rats at some point in the remake. Yeah, that, that was bad. When they were doing practical effects, I think it was overall pretty clean. Yeah, um, I think I maybe noticed um, a weird thing. Like hyena lifted his head, and I saw his chin, and I can kind of see like where they glued. Yeah. the the prosthetic but other than that it was pretty solid um mm -hmm. you know and we had that cats movie yeah yeah it was all oh, cgi which all that looks you saw that i didn't mm -hmm. see that i just you know saw trailers saw it, it i'd say this looks significantly better than yes that. just yes. just seeing the trailers and that's 96 yeah and yeah yeah so practical effects all the way um well, yeah I, pretty good yeah i got a buddy that's staying with me um after the storm, because he, you know, he had some issues with that. But uh, he was looking. He was like, "Hey, this looks pretty good. Like, when did this come out? I was like '96." He's like, yeah. "Really?" Yeah. I was like, "So like, yeah, man. Um, yeah, the effects were good. '77, um, I didn't love, but I also you got to grade on the curve, right? Um, and that's why I mentioned even Planet of the Apes because like 
it was about as good as that. So like, what? I'll give it to uh, when know. Michael York got his thing. That was pretty good. The, the effects, yeah, yeah. The makeup job or the prosthetics that they applied to Michael York's face looked pretty. I guess you could say natural. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it definitely didn't stand out. It was like, well, I can't, I can't take this movie seriously anymore because he looks ridiculous. Um, it's pretty good, you know. Um, Even the animal work was like good. I'm sure. Yeah. There's some ethical missteps there, but yeah, like the one you had mentioned it before, the one bear man yeah. looks more man than all the other animals. I thought, uh, I thought that was a pretty good makeup job. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, it, it wasn't the most impressive uh, that I've seen in films, but it was still pretty good, and I didn't. It didn't take me out of the movie. Mm. Um. And and I could say that about both films. Yeah. And I didn't really hate the prosthetics. I thought they were pretty solid. Yeah, and the fact that the remake leans so heavy because, like, we get Humanimals very early on, which is kind of like what I was implying with uh, our main character. There's not this ambiguity of what's going on. We immediately know yeah. that there are, like, humanoid yeah. creatures. Um, they definitely maintain more of the animal features in their, totally. in their faces. Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, at a certain point, I was just like, yeah, I just accepted that these were characters in the film. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the effects for both films were... Uh, at least serviceable, um, and at at best, like yeah, no, they they work, they look yeah. good. So I was I was impressed. I still prefer the remakes, uh, special effects, but that's just time and you know. Yeah, I mean, you got the technology yeah, just got course. better. It, it it just looks more natural. And the thing is too, like the remake, it was like a full body kind of yeah. aesthetic because in the original they wore clothes, so they right. only really had to do like their face and maybe some hairy hands. That's uh, that's definitely something positive I can say about yeah <laughs> both the films. <laughs> Not the, the CGI in remake definitely CGI used poorly, but it's used very sparingly. So sparsely that yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. Like the rat thing, I was like, I'm so glad I didn't have to watch a lot of this. Yeah, um, that kind of that scene kind of came out of nowhere. nowhere dude. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about production <laughs> problems and like we're just throwing the rat scene. Like, did he escape? What's happening? Like, he's walking around the island. And by the way, we didn't mention this too. Like, his. Uh, David Thewlis's character is just walking around the island with a gun the whole yeah, fucking time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, yeah, Brando's Moreau makes a strange choice of like, look at him, he's nervous. Let's give him a gun. He just has a gun the whole time. Even Val Cumber's like, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, rightfully so. Which also doesn't factor enough into the film. Um, no, not enough. No, nah, he doesn't use the gun nearly enough or uh, with any real purpose, but eh, yeah, whatever. Or like it gets taken from mm -hmm. him or anything like that like yeah the gun's not that no nah. important yeah it makes the fire that kills whatever right right yeah, whatever that. That i didn't really pay attention to any of the music i don't know if you've got any notes not really I, yeah. I have no notes there weren't any pop like the only thing that i could say is because i had the subtitles on so i know that like brando like played that chopin mm -hmm. duet mm -hmm. and that's cool and then that he, was cool he played yeah. some gershwin yeah. Uh, which is always nice. I uh, love hearing some Gershwin. But, uh, and, you know, it's an interesting thing just to see the the doctor just playing some piano. I, and, like, you know, that's that's a big piece of humanity is music in general. Know, and like, so to introduce that I thought was compelling, but ultimately what, not really. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that compelling. It was compelling, but it wasn't, right? Like, when he tried to kind of appeal to their Right, because they were, they were playing the piano at, at, but when he... That was a good scene. Yeah, that was that was a good scene. Again, when Brando's on the screen, it's Brando's bizarre and it, yeah. you just you're fixed on it. It's so crazy that like Brando phoning it in 
is like some of the best shit yeah. in this movie. Like he didn't give one fuck. No, not one. And with his line, line, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. police cruisers <laughs> needed for Seven uh, Eleven. <laughs> a, a robbery in progress. I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> it's just man in the costumes. I mean, like. I'll say that. Uh, we don't usually talk about this, but whoever was in charge of Brando's costumes... That's probably Brando. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? Bravo, sir. Bravo. Well, man, that was that was something. Um, I guess I'll ask the question. Uh, <laughs> Dan, should, should these movies exist? So, we talked <laughs> a lot about, like, just, you know how weird things got on that remake and like you know the, the friction between brando and val kilmer's character and it's just how bizarre it was and there's a lot of memorable things mm -hmm. from that remake you know um obviously everything brando did was just like i, I remember because it's just such a weird weird choice but like i said after his character dies the whole movie kind of just falls the fuck apart yeah it does and you know we're talking about themes of the the 77 film and just like you know that whole conflict of humanity versus like animal instinct like w which one's gonna you know win which one's gonna take over and like kind of a nature versus nurture thing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is um, very interesting and very compelling and none of that <laughs> was in the remake <laughs> no. and you know as weird and as interesting as the remake can get at the end of the day, I just gotta say no. Yeah, <laughs> I don't well, think this remake should exist because it's just not a good story yeah. at all. Right. I, I said before, you make Frankenstein the villain, not the monster, and that's what they did. And they probably did it, like I said, because Brando didn't want to do it, mm. Kilmer didn't want to do right. it. So right. holy fuck, I hope this guy <laughs> wants to do it. <laughs> Uh, like like you said, dude, you got the lowest guy on the totem pole so to be the villain. Why would you do that? It's 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 such a weird choice. The setup of the remake is really good. I would almost say strong, yeah. but I it just falls apart. Like I like the idea of this scientist kind of becoming a god and like you know just reigning over his creations, but. Brando didn't even do that. Like he was very sympathetic mm -hmm. in, in certain points and kind of empathetic with uh, his creations. Yeah. He didn't want to be judge, jury, and executioner, especially not an executioner. And there was nothing villainous about his character. And I think that is the major fault of mm. the remake. You make Moreau the villain by not making it. Moreau the villain. You can make him interesting. It's, it's the island of Dr. Moreau. It's the island of Dr. Moreau. It's not the island of hyena swine. I don't give a fuck about hyena swine. So, um, prosthetics are good. Brando's performance is absolutely memorable. Um, there's a documentary. Uh, it's called Lost Souls, Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Just about the whole nightmare that the production was before John Frankenheimer yeah. became the director. Could you imagine, like, Richard Stanley, who's, like, really love the subject matter. Right. Did all this work. All this work to go to Hollywood and be like, hey, mm -hmm. I want to make an Island of Dr. Moreau film to get Brando. Um, there were other actors at some point, but whatever, Val Kilmer on board. Four days in, you're fine. Yeah. It's nuts. 
Studio's like, you can't handle this. We don't like your vision. We don't like the way you're dealing with Val Kilmer. All this shit. And then, you know, like I said, but I've said it again. Drink too many chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. Now we got his vision. We got the new vision. We got the studio telling them to do their shit. It's funny. So we he did. was sneaking on set, too. Right. He snuck <laughs> on set. He was an extra in that movie. <laughs> that's right. That's in the documentary. I forgot about that. Oh, that's that's hilarious. So documentary maybe is worth checking out. Yeah. This fucking film, though? No, I don't think it should exist. It's interesting, but for, you know, telling the story that H.G. Wells intended about this nature versus nurture, human versus animal thing, mm -hmm. it doesn't tell that story at all. Yeah. So I don't think it should exist. Yeah. I've been kind of fence-sitting on this one. Um, I I'll say this, like, for me, watching through the original film, one, I thought that the themes in the original film were much more, like, clear consistent obvious but like not in a bad way right like um i think that the story that they were trying to tell they told and um i was slightly bored by the lack of actual character building yeah. right the, all the characters in the original were kind of just like generic right for the yeah. most part um but like the overarching theme the story was compelling enough that, uh, you know, I had no problem with, like, watching the film. In the remake, like you mentioned early on, I was really excited because, like, we started building out these characters. Right. Were they great characters? No, but, like, hey, there's more. Yeah, something to work with. Yeah. It felt like they were having a lot more depth. <laughs> yeah. Like, Val Kilmer, to me, like, his arc stopped <laughs> when, <laughs> when he killed the rabbit, you know? It was like, oh, wow, maybe we're going to do something with that. Like, he just... But, like, in the context of nothing happening really after that, why does it matter that Val Kilmer killed a rabbit if he doesn't, like you mentioned, confront Moreau? Mm -hmm. What's the point of Moreau's daughter trying to be more human if we don't complete the circle, right? Like, <laughs> we just kind of hang her in the next scene. It's, it's really goofy. Um, why are there more sons uh, or making Melina's son? Like, why does that matter if they don't? interact with each other like we we've got more characters more prosthetics more things happening that aren't tied to any overarching theme like one set of characters is trying to make this like a theological thing i would say the truth sayer in uh moreau right yeah you got the hyena and the azazello characters who are making this a power thing right who's in charge you've got our main character who's trying to make this uh and maybe like the daughter who's trying to make this like a morality, like what are the ethics of science story. You got Montgomery who's like, why don't we just have an orgy with these uh, creatures? What was the word? Orgiastic orgiistic tendencies of Val Kilmer. Um, you know, this I think this is what happens when people's lives fall apart, right? Like when Brando, his daughter died at some point during the filming. So that was a big hit. Kilmer was getting divorced. He found out about it. On a television interview, oh, shit. <laughs> he didn't know. Like, his wife was just like, "Yeah." Oh jeez. Now all of this is going to make it sound like I'm going to say that this shouldn't exist, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Because they attempted to flesh out the characters, they failed. By the way, they failed at that. But I I, I appreciate it. Like you mentioned on the first half of the film, I appreciate the attempt, and it was compelling enough up until Brando's death. That, like, I kind of liked somewhat the direction they were going. Like, I know it's a disaster, 
historical disaster. But like for the first half of the film, I was like, all right, you know, I was going through the paces. And um, Brando's performance, the nonsense of it, the fact that we can like go back and visit that um, makes this film worth existing. But like, this is a huge caveat. If you're asking me, should this movie exist as an Island of Dr. Moreau remake? Absolutely fucking not. This is a terrible film. Um, the story is awful. Um, uh, and they don't, they like, it's so pretentious. They're trying to make all these big thematic statements that fall flat because you're saying it real stupid. Like, um, and they never follow through <laughs> right. on most of them. It's true. But like, I will say this, um, because of the character study that is Marlon Brando, the character study, Val Kilmer really kind of sucks in this. Um, but like watching two men's lives <laughs> fall apart on screen, um, that's kind of worth watching. So should the movie exist? No. Should you watch it? Yes. <laughs> that's the caveat, right? I'll give it that. I think it, it, it's watchable just for that because yeah. of the disaster that it is. And I would recommend watching that documentary yes. as well. Yes. If you want to, like, if, knowing what you know, Watching that film in that context is kind of interesting, but if you were just watching it as a straight watch, like I want to watch right. a story about Doctor Moreau. Like, I read the book. I want to watch the film now. Do not. This, don't, this, don't, is, don't. this is a bad. <laughs> this is a bad movie. Um, yeah. So I, I should agree with you that this movie should not exist, but I, I'm glad it exists because of just so so weird. Everything about it is just so weird, and I kind of like that. I know I'm flip flopping, but <laughs> the movie shouldn't exist. But I'm glad it does. No, no, I get that. And like we were, we both came to this episode like on the fence. You're like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know either, man. Mm -hmm. It's it's a car crash. It's, we it, can't we can't not look at you're it. Watching a train wreck. We're just like, wow, this is so. What the fuck were they thinking? But you know, phoned in, not caring, Brando is still some. It's Damn good cinema. I, I can't look away. What was that? <laughs> you know what it is? It's a choice, and at least he made a choice. He made a choice. <laughs> Val Kilmer made a choice to quit. Mm -hmm. They both made the choice to quit. But, like, Marlon Brando had so much power, and it was so eccentric, that, like, his choice to quit is, like, cinema gold. <laughs> <laughs> Val Kilmer just like, I don't want to be here. Marlon Brown was like, yeah, what if we get the short guy to play piano with me? I want a nice bucket on my <laughs> head and then have, have uh, what's your name, Baroka Blur on my head. Santino, let, let them destroy themselves. They're animals. <laughs> They're humanimals anyway. <laughs> Dude, fucking love Brando, man. I hate this movie. I love Brando. I mean, he's, he's, in, you know, he wasn't even fucking in part of the film. He was a body yeah. double. A, his body yeah. double got a huge fucking building in the credits. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. The, do you know how frustrating it must be to be in Australia? It's hot. Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer won't come out of their trailers. Yeah. Marlon Brando's got a bucket of ice on his head. And, and, and you just have to film that. You're $40 million in the hole. You just have I gotta get this on camera. It, it sucks. <laughs> it's so bad. I love Brando. This is great. It sucks and it's great. I think that's a fair compromise. I still think it, it's a shit film. It's a but, bad movie. But holy what? Yeah, Brando. Wow. All right, so that's what we thought about the films. 
after that production nightmare, we had our own production nightmare. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys think? Do you agree with this? Do you disagree with this? Let us know in the comments. Reggie, what is next? Alright, um, I'm on a Brando kick. I'm on a Brando oh, kick. Snap. So, uh, the next film that I want to do is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is a remake of uh, a Marlon Brando film called Bedtime Story. With I David didn't, Nivens. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know what? Brando gave me so much energy on this one. We want to give him a movie that he meant to be in. And, uh, it's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with uh, Steve Martin and, Steve. Uh, and Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah Michael <laughs> So one, obviously, I love Michael Caine. <laughs> Two, clearly, I love Marlon Brando. <laughs> So, uh, Michael Caine has probably been on this show more than any other yeah. actor. <laughs> I and feel like you've picked every Michael Caine movie, too. You picked Alfie, you picked uh, Italian Job. <laughs> There's a theme, you know. Um, so, I'll wear my Michael Caine fan club shirt next time. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I figured um, I've been wanting to do Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but, like, I couldn't figure out where to piece that in. Um, after this, it feels like a time for a yeah. full reset. Okay, <laughs> so sounds we'll, good. We'll watch. Uh, yeah, we'll watch that. And apparently, bedtime story is the uh, the original. All right, cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, please subscribe, leave a comment. We love those. If you're listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five star review. That will definitely help the channel grow. Yeah, check us out on Instagram at Retro versus Remake. We're on Spotify, iTunes. Um, Twitter, so you know, comments are great. Love going back and forth with people on YouTube about uh, about this stuff because uh, people get really excited about films, and uh, apparently, and God knows why, apparently they're trying to do another Doctor Moreau um, remake. So if that happens, um, perhaps we'll talk about it. Hopefully, we won't have to. We'll just do that one by itself. Be like, shit, this is <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and a little Brando action next time. I'm Reggie Parker. I'm Dan Bulek. This has been another episode of Retro vs. Remake. Production hell! Fuck my camera! <laughs>